Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94 of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of this podcast and happy to be back with you again as we start our run up to uh, the Super Modified season getting underway. Boy, we've got uh, three series to keep track of. Um, the ISMA Tour, the uh, brand new uh, New England Super Modified series and uh of course the um midwest super modified series along with uh what goes on at oswego so hopefully all of those various sources will be getting uh news to us and and you know love to be able to get winter views uh if anybody is interested in helping us with winter views from any of those places surely would uh, love to have that uh content for the show this year but either way we're going to cover it as best we can and talk about it as best we can and we'll try and get as many of the winners on um as we can as we go forward okay so uh let me tell you what we're doing for this show and then i will uh kind of let you in on uh something that has just happened this show is going to be a little different there is no new guest on this show. However, um, I, w- I had a conversation with somebody last week, and we were talking about how cool the they thought the 72 um, recaps were. When we go back, we've gone back the last couple shows to 1972 and kind of uh, gone through a program and uh, sort of the throwback idea. And uh, they said, you know, you you never you never do any best ofs. You ought to just you ought to bring back some of your older interviews because you've been doing you're up to ninety three shows. Um, maybe I mean, do you have any new audience? I said, well, actually, I think we have a fair amount of new people since we started. Um, and uh, and and they said, well, why don't you just you know bring back some of the older interviews at once in a while and you know let people uh, let people hear them again. So I started to think about, okay, if I'm not going to have a new guest this week, um, then maybe we could do one of those. And I was thinking, well, who would we choose? Would we just pick something random? So I, I went all the way back through the uh, entire catalog of, of this edition of the Inside Groove, the podcast, and I... Um, and I said, well, let's bring back Warren Conium. I thought, well, that would be fun. And then I said, well, you know what would even be more fun is if we packaged Warren Conium with Ryan Conium because we interviewed them both in the, the first year of the podcast. So um, on this show, you are going to hear both Warren Conium and Ryan Conium were doing this is the best of um, and uh, thought that that might be fun to do um, in the sort of spirit of throwback content um, and and uh, the 
gentleman asked me not to to call him out on the show and mention his name, so I'm not going to. But um, you know who you are. Thank you. That that that's a kind of a cool idea. I think. I hope um, the rest of you will tell me. I'm sure. Uh, but again, just trying to mix things up a little bit. Um, we are. Um, let me tell you why. What the the biggest reason I didn't have a new guest today is because uh, last week, very sort of uh, casually. The all-new SteeringWheelNation.com website went live. We, this, it's been the uh, toughest pregnancy in the history of the world. This thing, this, this has, there's, there's a story here somewhere that might uh, maybe turn into a book at some point. Um, in it, though I'd probably have to sell it as a fiction book because nobody would believe it. Uh, but sort of the evolution of, of this brand and, and all of the, all of the crap that, uh, I went through with, um, web designers and all of that, trying to, to, to get what I wanted. And, um, we basically went in a giant circle. Um, and so, and ended up with what I asked the first one for in the first place. So, um, the site is live steering nation.com and it is what's called a founder brand, which basically means that, um, it's a brand that is, that is representative of, um, of me and the work that I'm doing both from the media side and also from the driver's side. Um, and so what we did now, this is phase one of the website. There's more coming. We haven't put all the features in yet. We just got it to a point where um, one of the things that that inspired me here kind of down the stretch, there's a book called The Founder Brand. And that's 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 sort of where I got. It was one of those moments of clarity where I, you know, I was really fighting the idea of kind of making myself the center because I just it's not how I was raised. And but then I get thinking, well, doggone i've been doing this for 36 years now <laughs> you know um i think i've at least earned the right to call myself a founder and and you know and uh and sort of build something around all the stuff that i'm doing and more importantly not not to make this this is because um it's not about me in a in an ego sense it's about the things I love about motorsports, it's about telling great stories, helping other people tell their stories, promoting the drivers that we have. We've got just a really cool group of drivers um, in this this uh, th- this this group, um, you know, and, and uh, man, they're all really talented. Um, a couple of them are struggling to get out of the gate this year. Uh one of them because he still hasn't gotten his dog on motor back. He had he sent the motor to be rebuilt, and uh, of course you know supply chain shortages all over the place. Can't get I forget what he said he was missing. There were a couple of parts that his motor builder just couldn't get, and um, so you know Brandon's still still hasn't been in the, on there still hasn't been on the track yet. So um, you know it's we're, we're gonna this brand is going to be fun because basically this is not going to be, if you're looking for the breaking news site, um, you know, that's going to be like a speed sport, you know, or that kind of a media. 
Um, that's not who Steering Wheel Nation is. It's not what we are. We're not trying to be that. Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a, a media site because that's what I do is create media content. We have, we have the shows and everything, but I wanted to do it and have some sort of a community kind of flavor. Um, the, the, the picture that I had in my head or sort of the vision I had in my head is to somehow create a neighborhood bar and grill for, you know, motorsports media sites. And then, um, when I read the founder brand and, uh, really thought about, you know, that the, the author of that book is just amazing. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, and he really is kind of pioneered this, this concept of, of, of founder brand. And as I was going through the book, it kind of clarified, I should add my drivers into this and sort of create this umbrella, um, that I already have. I just haven't really built a building for it. Um, you know, I've always had kind of two sides to the business and, um, you know, it's, uh, so that's what we did. So the, the drivers have, a website of what's called a vertical it's it's everything that would be in a normal website for a driver um especially a short track driver but it's just we just they're just, it's just a vertical layout so it, it comes out to one page but it's um except for the news and archive uh will be multiple but anyway um and all of the shows the the reason that i wanted to, to explain all this is to say this um, over the, the last couple of years, I occasionally get people who say, how do I get your show? I'm not on Facebook. How do I get your show? I don't have Spotify or anything like that. You know, they don't want to, you know, want to pay for any of that. Well, here's how you get the show. Go to steeringwheelnation.com. There you go. Because what we did when you go there, scroll down the homepage and it, and we've made this site as simple as we could. That was one of the things I wanted. I didn't want, you know, sometimes you go to these and, and, and speed sports, not so much, but some of these motorsports media sites, it's like just overload. There's a hundred stories on the whole. It's like, what do I click on? You know, and even to a degree, a lot of the live streaming sites are getting that way. Like it's almost, there's too many choices. You know, what, what, did, what is that old Springsteen song? 57 channels, nothing on. Now you got like 457 options and they're all good, right? <laughs> what you choose um so i wanted to kind of do the opposite i wanted to make everything the sections they're they're really big they're you know everything's big it's easy to to find stuff um we literally put all of our all four of our shows uh the tom baker show has also been launched we've only got a couple of episodes that we published we've got i've got more interviews we're just kind of getting that caught up that is going to be I need to save that for another show because I want y'all to know about it because, man, I hope y'all will listen to it. The The first two episodes, uh, Lenny Baticki, who is the voice of one of the voices of Charlotte Motor Speedway down here, and he also own, uh, also is the host of PRN's At The Track, which is their short track show, and he does two different editions. One is the East, one is the Midwest. Um, he was my first interview uh for that show and then uh tony the toe cirillo who is a, a legendary uh personality in four cycle sprint karting was was the second one it was a cool show to do with tony um that show 
the Tom Baker show is not just racing. We're going to, we're going to, this is sort of my, you know, variety show for the site. It's going to be kind of the outlier show that brings great stories from great people from all walks of life. The only thing I'm, I'm, uh, stating up front and, and have as sort of my rule to not be broken is we're not doing politics. Okay. It's not happening. But um, I actually am going to, I'm in the process of working through um, the interview with Rocky Lynn, who um, is a Nashville recording artist that has a studio right behind my office at WSIC in the same wing of the building um, and recorded his um, new album in that building. And I was a fly on the wall for a lot of that. So as a, as, as a drummer, um, that was just extremely interesting. And Rocky's story is, I mean, my gosh, he's got a documentary just about done. He's doing a TV show. Um, but his, his story starts with being found at six months old next to a dumpster at, at, at an orphanage here. Um, it's an amazing story. Um, I don't want to spoil it. But when that episode comes out, I mean, and that's, I wanted a vehicle where I could kind of, and I want to do some, there are some business folk that I want y'all to hear about. Um, one in particular that we're working on setting up an interview with now, um, that, um, just an amazing way to build generational wealth and it predates the tax code. Um, it's totally legit. All the banks are doing it. It's not a new fad. It's not Bitcoin. It's not anything like that. Um, it, it just, you know, I want to be able to use that show to inform and educate and really just tell some interesting stories, help people share some interesting stories that don't have to be for motorsports. But we have a pretty uh, we have a pretty heavy duty motorsports guest list, too. That's the show where we're going to start bringing some of the big guns out. So um, we're going to have fun with that. But anyway, didn't mean to get off on of that tangent. But I wanted you to know the site was up because, again, you want to hear the show now, just go to steeringwheelnation.com. That's it. Now, I'm going to take that to another level. Um, if you go to the show page, don't do it yet. Don't anybody do it yet because I'm not sure they got everything kind of hooked up right yet. Um, one of the things the founder brand teaches, you know, go ahead and, you know, do your work in public kind of thing. So I'm, I'm going live. We went live with the site. It's not completely finished. It's one of those excuse our mess, but we're still kind of under construction. Um, you know, they're, they're still, I'm waiting on schedules of a couple of drivers, et cetera. Um, but, uh, some of the, the, what the CTA boxes called action boxes haven't been, uh, fully sort of plumbed out yet. Uh, so don't sign up for anything yet. Don't when you go to steering wheel, don't sign up. Just go look at it. But um, one of the things that we're gonna have you let you be able to do, if 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 you're just if you just really don't even want to have to go anywhere to find the show, we're gonna hand it to you in your inbox. Okay, so um, you can literally go to whatever show pages you want. Don't do it yet. Don't sign up yet. Uh, I'll let you know when you can. Probably by the next show will be good. But um, just uh, go there. And uh, just know there's a sign-up box there. Uh, and we're going to also add some more to the show pages. And, and here's here's the big thing. And this is why it was worth spending 15 minutes on this. Sorry, I broke my opening rule of less than five minutes. But 
Um, we are going to do more content now. So one of the things that I want to do, and we're not going to start this until June, uh, just because I know what my schedule is over the next month. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to start this till June, but one of the things that I want to do, we're going to do some inside groove lives. Okay. So videos, video shows kind of like we did uh, a couple of be- a couple before a lot of you will remember uh, we did a couple. We're going to, we're going to do, we're going to do some more of those. Um, and I've got some ideas for what I want to do with them. Um, some of them may require <laughs> a slightly more technologically capable, uh, operator than I for the, uh, production part of it, but, um, we'll sort of work up to that, but I want to do some, I, I just want to have some get togethers. That's again, the idea of the, 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 you know, community and um also we are going to have apps we are working on apps for both apple and android so we'll uh we'll have apps for you too and and uh we really want to do some some fun stuff we've got some pretty ambitious folks in this group that i'm working with which is amazing Uh, of course the highlight for us is the racing themed cruise which you can go to the site and look for that information and again everything's on the home page we we you know we wanted to put it all on the home page and then if you want more info you click but um you know we're not about spamming people but obviously we're going to have monthly newsletters you can sign up for and we're going to we got a new magazine that we're 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 going to be kicking off uh quarterly print magazine um and so we're we're just going to do some things with this uh we'll have more information on some of that as we go uh over the next week or two so um i you know i'm i'm just truly thankful to everyone i've got a a really great team around me um and uh just gonna you know this is kind of the opportunity to to really help elevate short track racing uh in a in a in a different sort of way to tell some stories from throughout the racing world in a different sort of way um yeah we're gonna still have nascar we're gonna put indycar we're gonna have all that but you're not gonna see a whole bunch of news content per se we will have some but what you're gonna you're gonna just you're gonna see a lot of stories and a lot of unique stories as we go too uh and we're gonna have some fun with the shows where we're uh one of my drivers keenan tully is hard of hearing and he's got a personal brand coming out that uh we've been working on he and i for about six months now it is an amazing brand it's gonna be awesome and i say that not because i worked on it i'm i feel blessed to be to have been able to to work with keenan to develop this um it's an inspirational brand for the deaf heart of hearing community it's gonna be great he's going to also do a podcast once we get rolling keenan moved here in november from the uk he's a uk uh, racer um and uh dual citizenship here he lived in california for a bit but he moved here to uh, mooresville and we're trying to put together the right uh right situation to get him in uh get him in a car here he wants to be a nascar driver but this brand that he's got is awesome and he is such a a gentleman and um he's just so excited to to be doing this for his community and so i can't wait for you to his podcast is going to be him talking to other um you know hard of hearing uh deaf hard of hearing and uh celebrities you know he's got uh there was a boston bruins player 
uh, from the older days that that um, he's going to be interviewing and some other athletes and and whatever. Um, so just really trying. That's just again. That's that's going to be something that you know will be on the, the our site. That's kind of exclusive to us. That um, makes us a little different and, and creates that kind of community. You know, do good. Um, we want to do some charity stuff. Um, we're going to do that with the cruise. We, the, the cruise is going to be amazing. My gosh. I just, so I'm sorry. I took this long to sort of ramble on about all that, but, uh, the site is live and that's kind of one of the reasons it, it down the stretch. It's amazing how many, you know, little pieces of copy, a little, whatever that, that need to go onto the thing. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more coming. We, we just couldn't get it all done before I wanted to launch it. So, um, hope y'all enjoy it and, you know, and, and I hope that you'll, you'll make it a frequent stop and, and just listen to the shows and check out the stories as they pop up. And, um, like I said, don't anybody sign up. Don't use the call to action boxes yet. Uh, I'll tell you when they're live. I think probably by the next show, we should be okay with that. All right. So this show, we're going to hear from Warren Conium first. Then we're going to hear from Ryan Conium. And then I will do a closing segment. I don't think we're going to do a throwback 72 throwback on this show because we wanted to, I wanted to bring both interviews together. Um, and I don't have the whole season worth of programs. So I, I want to kind of, um, be a little bit sparing here. Uh, so we'll, we may do another one on the next show, but, um, you know, we're going to have a closing segment. We'll talk about the number 94, uh, and you know, but uh, we're going to step aside, let you hear from one of, uh, the folks who support the show. Um, certainly appreciate all of them and we'll get, uh, get to some discussion about that too. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back to, uh, hear from Warren Conium here. This is an encore presentation of both of these interviews. Hope you enjoy them. Warren Conium up next on the Inside Groove. Stay with us. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services. End to end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out. IPCindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Warren, it is great to have you uh, on the Inside Groove podcast this week as we get ready for opening day at the Oswego Speedway. I know that for the Super Modified fans who will attend on Saturday, obviously they've been waiting all winter, and I think it just stopped snowing there about three or four weeks ago, it seems like. So uh, it's a happy occasion. I know you had several of those. I want to go all the way back, Warren, with you just to start this conversation. Do you remember exactly how you got started in the sport? Because I heard it was something to the effect of you were actually working on somebody's race car and they didn't show up one night, so you drove it? 
Well, yeah, it went something like that. I actually I was helping a guy on a car, and I um, I lend him a motor. I was I was building a hot rod, and uh, rather than put the motor in my hot rod, he asked me if he could uh, buy it, borrow it, or you know whatever we had to do. And uh, I said sure. So I helped him on the car for a while, and then shortly thereafter. We were going racing one weekend, and he couldn't get away. He was busy at a service station. He oh, okay. couldn't get away. He says, well, you just take the car and run it. So <laughs> that's how it happened. So you started driving and never stopped. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was back probably, what, in the mid-60s, late 60s? Uh, yeah, that was in the early 60s, actually. Early 60s. I think probably 63, 64, something like that. No, before that, maybe. But it was, in the, it was in the early 60s. And talk a little bit about what the atmosphere was like um, in motorsports in Canada at that point. Because I, obviously a lot's evolved over the years, and especially with the Super Modifieds, it seems like you know they kind of went through... Uh, periods of being really popular over there, then maybe not so much. And now I think it, a lot of it's late models. Can you talk about what it was like back at that time for the Supers in the uh, in, in in Canada? Well, I would suppose they were somewhat like the uh, the Supers they first started at Oswego. Um, you know, some guys ran coupes, and some you know there was some starting to evolve into. Supers. I mean, they were kind of crude. Yeah. But um, you know, they were boxy things. I wouldn't get in one now. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You look at some of the older pictures. It's kind of like, wow, I can't believe they actually raced those cars. But um, that's probably true in about any division because I was even looking at some of the uh, the videos from the Indy 500s back in the 70s and some of, you know, obviously the, the crashes and, and, and tragedies they had back then. You know, safety has come miles and miles and miles the sport oh. and you know but uh, back then nobody knew any better right no it's uh i mean we used to use old army belts as uh safety oh harnesses and i you know what i remember running the uh classic uh, first year i ran the classic we strapped a 50 gallon drum on the back of the car for fuel wow so that that's <laughs> That's how far they've come. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that uh, things didn't go wrong. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, well, I'm sure there are many drivers who would probably uh, admit to that who raced back then. Do you remember what brought you to Oswego for the first time? Yeah, oh, yeah, I was um, I was driving for Carl, Carl Rutledge. Okay, you had you And had uh, he, he had been there previous with... Um, Sam Snyder and uh, Howard Scannell. Okay. And uh, so, at any rate, yeah, I, st I started driving for Carl, and we ran Ontario for quite a while. Well, not a long while, you know, maybe a couple of years. Sure. Uh, and then the tracks around here sort of closed down, like cold closed the supers down, and went to late models. So we started running Sandusky. Well, Delaware ran for quite a while. We ran Sandusky, Delaware, and then uh, we started running Oswego, and that was um, 
I mean, Carl was a great guy to drive for. He'd, he'd, he'd have gone anywhere. What was your first impression of Oswego when you saw it? Well, I, as a matter of fact, I went down before I started driving for Carl, and I, um, I, I was in awe. I just came down to watch the classic. I mean, I, I believe the first time I came, it was when uh, Johnny Benson Sr., won it oh my okay now i'm good friends with john benson jr <laughs> absolutely yeah but uh no it was um it was like i tried my hardest to get a ride there was a fellow by the name of glenn sure that used to race from up here and he was driving for uh, a guy by the name of ross cockwell and uh glenn hadn't shown up yet and i'm standing at the pit gate dying to get a ride and I uh, I asked Ross if I could drive the car and he said yeah well if Glenn doesn't show up you can but Glenn showed up <laughs> <laughs> so, so you and Carl uh, came up together to Oswego and, and you were with Carl for uh, a, a number of years were you not? Oh yeah yeah I was with him for a long time he was um, a great guy he was uh Pleasure to drive for him. He's a, a great man. Such a special time for the Supers, too. Literally, it was almost like, you know, you, you had the sportsmen, of course, and then they kind of evolved into Super Modifieds, and it was almost like, you know, watching the Caterpillar turn into a butterfly, I would think, back then. Because, you know, back when you and Carl first started, they weren't quite what they were going to be yet. No, no. I mean, they were they were boxy. And, yeah. You know, they were. I mean, they were starting to come along a little bit. Um, but I, I was pretty fortunate in the fact that you know when I came to Oswego, I ran the, an early style car, and it evolved to um, you know the the style that close to what they're running now. I'm not saying identical, but sure. close to it. I mean, we. Uh, they started getting fairly sophisticated. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think about back at that time. I mean, I, I wasn't born until 67, so I didn't start going until 1973, and you were already uh, to the Salve 04 by the, time, um, by the time I started going to the track. But you, you drove for Carl, and then you actually drove uh, a, a season or two in the Little Deuce as well. Yeah, well, I didn't run a full season in the Deuce. Oh, okay. Uh, Howard Howard didn't run a full season, and, um, you know, he called me and asked me to drive the car before the Classic. And, um, you know, I, I drove his car off the Classic a couple of weeks before the Classic, the Classic, and then uh, a few shows after the Classic. We broke during the classic and uh we were just getting ready to start you know push off the car and suspension broke Uh-oh. and we hadn't quali- we didn't qualify very good i think we qualified about 10th you know i i came in the pits the car's dragging on the ground it was a pace lap for the classic <laughs> and he just jacked the car up and put the portion torsion bar stop on as close as he could get it and never thinking a heck of a lot of it and we, we went down 14 laps, I think. Oh, wow. And he, I just remember 
he laughed, looked at me and laughed. He says, well, if you win it from here, you're doing something. <laughs> and we pushed off, and we made up two laps on the field, as a matter of fact. Wow. The, the, car, the car was phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, I, he just hit it right on the button, but the car worked phenomenal. And then, uh, and, and I drove for, uh, you know, John Pilata and Jimmy DeLucia. Yeah. And they were great years. I, I, I loved those guys. They were, they treated me like family and uh, we, we had a lot of fun. That was and such. That car, that car was coming along, you know, that car was along the lines of what they, they are today. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you, you actually, I think there were, you drove uh, the car that Mike Rizzo eventually bought, and then uh, they built you a new one, I think, in, I think it was 75. Uh, yeah. That you drove, um, that was such a magic time. Those those years, the early seventies, right up, you know, right up through uh, seventy six, seventy seven. Just a such a a glorious time with the the level of competition and you know drivers going from Oswego to Indy during that period. Uh, the supers really established themselves. I feel like in the the late sixties to about the mid seventies or so, and um, you know. Just remembering back, I mean, even my memories of of races that you had in that period, you know, with with Jimmy Champagne and and you know some of the the other guys. I mean, and the Canadian presence in general in that period was strong with Kenny Andrews and and Norm Macrath and um, so many other drivers. I mean, it, it, do you look back now and and just sort of smile at? at Gosh, I'm glad I got to do that. Exactly. I, I'm. I'm really pleased. I'm like I consider myself very fortunate to have uh, come up those years, and I raced. You know, I feel I raced with the best. Uh, you know, Bentley, Norm, my father-in-law, Doug Sire, Doug Sire, yes, uh, Swifty, Jim Champagne. Uh, uh, just, um, and that was an era where. You had a hard time qualifying for the classic. Yeah. Oh yeah, there'd be fifty, sixty, you know, plus cars in the field, and and so much variety too with the rear engines and you know the sprint cars and the side engines and uprights yeah. and you know exit old Indy cars. I mean, it was just such a an amazing time, very colorful time in the super modified yeah. division, and being able to just go all over and run. Do you have a particular memory or two from that? sort of early part of your career, say, with Carl or Howard or, or, or John, you know, that you can share with us, maybe a story that sticks out in your mind? Well, you know, I, I have a, a lot of great, great stories. I mean, driving for my father-in-law, we uh, had some good times. And driving for Howard Purdy, he was a great guy to drive for. Dave McKnight, I mean, yeah. we, had, we had great success with Dave McKnight. Sure and I, I remember the the classic that we won we won the championship and then the uh following year we won the classic yep. or vice versa we won the classic first but i re- i remember before the classic started uh doug jones who was the engine guy on the car and uh jack moulton was the chassis guy and steve moulton jack's son he worked on the car and we had a great crew we had, i mean we had tons of guys helping on that yep. car but I remember uh, 
we we qualified. I don't think we qualified up the front, maybe in the top ten somewhere. Yeah. And uh, Jack, or um, I'm sorry, this Doug Jones, who looked after the engine, after we qualified, he said, well, we're going to switch over to gasoline now. And I said, what? And he <laughs> said, yeah, we're going to switch over to gasoline. I said, well, we haven't even tested the car on gasoline. He says, oh, don't worry, it'll be all right. <laughs> so they... And that, I mean, that time I thought, wow, you know, to to have the kahunas to switch over to gasoline after you're already in the race, uh, you know, he had to change all the nozzles for the fuel injection. He changed the metering block. Wow. He changed the timing on the motor. Actually, he took away about uh, 50 or 60 horsepower from the motor. Uh, I mean, to go go from alcohol to gasoline, guess, it, they, sure. both, they burn altogether different. And during the week... He even uh, changed the compression ratio on the motor. So we were shy about 60 horsepower, I guess. And we ran okay. I mean, we were running, we ran second for most of the race. Kempton Dates was leading. Yep. And uh, we ran second for most of the race. And, you know, I thought well, second is about as good as we're going to do here, which I thought was pretty good to do it on gasoline. Absolutely. And then. Yeah. And then, Mick, or, and then, uh, of course, Kempton Dates ran out of fuel with he a did. couple of laps yep. to go. And so, you know, I get every once in a while somebody said, well, I inherited the race to win that classic, but I say we outsmarted the field. Well, that's, and that's the first time I ever heard that story about switching to gasoline uh, that year. And, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you guys really, basically, it was almost – one of those situations, I, I mean, like we've seen, we had seen Nolan Swift do, where he'd go home the night before the classic and basically completely almost build a new car and come back and win it. You know, you guys making that, that, that was courage right there. And, and, you know, Doug obviously had the confidence that it would be okay. And the extra mileage that you got, even though you were down horsepower, that gave you the extra mileage to go and, and win that race. And I remember watching that. I mean, that was, that was just an amazing, you know, we all thought Kempton, well, he's gone. I mean, you know, Kempton's going to yep. win it. And he had he had been the man that year. He'd won the track championship. And, of course, you yep. were in the Dates chassis. Um, yep. You know, and uh, for you guys, you know, he ran dry. I think it was like six laps to go or whatever. And I watched you go by. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Warren Conium's going to win this classic. And that was just your reaction and the crew's reaction. I mean, in two years of owning a car, Dave McKnight waltzed in. You guys won the championship or won the classic in 77 and the championship in 78. And again, you could probably, if you're a skeptic, make the case that, well, gosh, Champagne won 13 out of 17 or whatever it was that year. But he broke in, in a bunch of the double point races and you guys ended up winning the title. Well, maybe you weren't the fastest car, but you were the most consistent and consistency wins championships, right? Yeah, well, we we didn't have the offset that uh, right. Champagne had. We weren't, we, you know, the car wasn't didn't handle as good. But we did they, we did finish every lap that yep. year. And uh, you know, my my hats off to the crew. They 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 did a great job on the car both years. Uh, to win the classic was, like I say, uh, you know, every once in a while I I take flack. I mean, you don't hear in NASCAR when a guy inherits the lead. 
for somebody running out of fuel, you don't say, well, he inherited the lead because the other guy ran out. They, get, they say he won the race. Right. And I don't feel that we run that. We won that race wrong. We we outsmarted the field. Yeah, you did. Uh, so we so we dropped fifty, sixty horsepower, but we went with uh, half the amount of fuel, and it was you know you, you don't not carrying the weight, so it was easier on the tires. That's it, yeah. I mean, that was an incredible. I had no idea, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, that was but. But as you say, to have that kind of confidence that this is going to work, you know, um, yeah. that that's amazing. Can I take you back just for, for a few minutes? There are two moments previous to uh, your time with McKnight that I, I, I want to talk about with you. And the first one is a classic as well at 1974. Um, and it was my first classic. And this was the race where you and Jimmy Champagne and Bobby Stelter and Nolan Swift were just side-by-side, side, swapping spots back and forth, almost right to the wire. And I think, if I remember right, the race ended under caution. Jimmy won. But what memories do you have of that race? Because, to me, that was still one of the greatest classics ever. Oh, it, it was a great race. I mean, you know, all the classics um, that I've run, you know, they've all, you know, they all sort of stick out in my mind a little bit. Some, I think, uh, I didn't get a fair shake in. Uh, scoring wise, uh, but you know, I won two classics, and that's that's good. I should have won. Mo- I should have won more. I, I know I won more, but uh, <laughs> but sometimes sometimes uh, other people have different ideas. Out of respect for you, I'm not going to ask you to elaborate, but I'm pretty sure you and I are on the same wavelength here. Um, <laughs> I, but- I've had so many people tell me that. You know, scoring did not go in my favor. Yeah, we'll, we'll, but that's okay. We'll not, we'll not uh, open that can of worms here. No. However, no. the other moment that I want to talk to you about was actually a moment. It wasn't so much a great, necessarily a great result or anything, but I, I, I want to make a larger point here in a second about how how amazing it is to me the kind of career that you had um you got the chance one night in 1975 to drive for nolan swift and i don't remember all the circumstances uh, around how that occurred but i remember you getting in the car and it um i don't think for some reason i want to say either you had something happen in in a qualifying race to make the feature or you made the feature and something happened but um you've driven for some of the most legendary car owners in the entire history of supermodified racing. You've driven for Carl Rutledge. You've driven for Howard Purdy. You've driven for Nolan Swift. You've driven for Clyde Booth. You, and you ended up driving for Jimmy Champagne. And I think you're the only driver in Oswego Speedway history that can say he drove for Nolan and Jimmy. Can you talk? Do you, do you remember that night at all when you, when you hopped in the 10 pins? Well, yeah, I do, and the way it went was uh, Nolan phoned me. I was at home, and I was driving for John Pallotta at that time. Yep. And Nolan phoned me, and he said, Warren, he said, would you drive my race car? I said, well, no, I drive for John Pallotta. <laughs> and he said, well, I want you to come and drive for us, Billy Wright and, and him. And I said, no, no I'm not going to quit, John. And he said, well, you know, you got a chance to drive a pretty good car. And I said, I already drive a pretty good car. Wow. 
I said, I'll take it out and I'll try it for you and give you my opinion of, you know, what I think of the car, because he couldn't make it go very well yeah. at that point in time. And um, so I, I I did drive it just one night, just tested the car for him. I, I was only doing him favor. And he called me a couple of times after that and said, how about coming and driving for us? And I said, no, I, you know, I, I just didn't want to quit John in the middle yeah. of the year. And uh, uh, Jimmy, they had both been so good to me. So um, I didn't. He, and he said, well, what do you think of, uh, I think it was Bobby Steltery. But no, Ronnie Wallace. Yeah, Ronnie drove it in 73. You drove it in 75. Yeah, but yeah. he asked me pre- previous to that. Okay, okay. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't take the ride, you know, for any more than just a test period. Yeah, I re- sort of thing. I remember the night in '75 when you drove it, and I think for some reason there may have you ended up in a multi-car kind of little jingle on the track or something but it was it was just the one night and i was assuming of course you know what do i know i was about eight years old but i'm just assuming okay well warren you know warren just got in the car because that used to be much more common than it is now right everybody would yeah. you know, every once in a while you'd see somebody jump in a car that they hadn't driven before and it was kind of and i'm going wow warren's the 10 pins and you, it, you know i i've confessed this to you before and everybody who who's known me a long time knows that that my you know jimmy champagne and warren coney were my two favorite drivers growing up and so I pay pretty close attention to your career. And, and man, to get in Swifty's car, I'm just thinking, what an honor it, to me as an eight-year-old or however old I was, what an honor that, that must be to get in the tin pins. And, but I just assumed it was only for a night. So there actually was discussion, or at least Nolan was wanting you to, to leave the yeah, 04 it, and jump in the 10? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, and, you know, Nolan was, Nolan was a great guy. I... I have the ut- I had the utmost respect for uh, Nolan, and uh, you know I'm I was uh, I was dumbfounded, but um, I you know I, I drove for I drove for like a, a lot of good drivers. Yeah, and I've 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 always said that sort of made me feel good um, about my career that uh, I had people like that ask me to drive their race cars. Like Kempton Dates got out of his yes. race car for me to drive it. Yep, and he was a I mean, he was the track champion, um, and Jimmy Champagne offered me the rear engine car. I probably put, I did put more laps on the rear engine car than he did. Sure, yep. And I, I managed to get it banned, which is too bad. <laughs> well, <But>. let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that, because, I mean, look, that's, it, that's still one of the moments, and, and again, for me, uh, you you have to understand that that again I'm gonna I'm gonna look it's my show I can do this right um, I'm gonna gush for a second because I can still remember um, when the announcement was officially made that you were gonna drive that car um, I I remember I was up in my room it was about probably you know it was after 11 i was watching the 11 o'clock news i had the news on before i had fallen asleep and i was watching a guy named jack morris do the sports cast and he closed his sports cast one night by saying um and finally uh, and this was what a couple weeks before the race i think um jimmy champagne has uh, will drive his front engine super modified in the upcoming oswego speedway international classic and in the rear engine car will be warren conium and 
I think I did. I, I, I jumped out of bed, and I'm not sure my feet hit the ground all the way downstairs to tell my parents. I was so excited that the two of you were going to team up. You two were really good friends, though, prior to that, right? Oh, yeah, and, and yeah, he was a great guy. I mean, uh, a gentleman to the nth degree, and uh, he's he's a factor uh, for me getting a ride with Clyde Booth because Clyde Booth called him and said, who would you put in your race car? Oh, wow. And Jimmy recommended that I drive the race car. And, uh, but, but, but Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy was a great guy. And that, that day, that particular weekend that I drove the rear engine car, uh, he said to me, you know, you guys are going to have to crew it. He asked me what percentage I wanted to drive it. I told him. And because I didn't, I didn't drive it for free. Well, I wasn't driving it for free. Sure. I, you know, Fair it enough. was back then. It was a business to me. But he, he asked me what percentage I want. I told him. He said, "Okay, good." He said, "The only thing is, you're going to have to supply the crew." And I said, "Yeah, that's not a problem. I've got my own crew." And he said, "Okay, good. The car is yours. You do anything with it you want. Wow. Change, change whatever whatever you want." So, and he said, "By the way, he says, I." I changed the torsion bar. I warmed it up last week. He said, I changed one torsion bar. He said, uh, I don't know whether that made it good or bad. But he said, you uh, you try the car and you do whatever you want with it. So we did. We uh, we changed a few minor things. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, familiar with a rear engine car. But, um, and I, I, I didn't go out and try and uh, set the world on fire when right. I, time trial and uh you know it just but the car felt so good i i knew it wouldn't be long before i was at the front when you took the car out for the first time what, what were your first impressions well i just thought i better give everybody i pass i better give them a wide berth because i got a lot behind me to <laughs> pull in in front of them <laughs> but uh you know what that that car handled so well i could go anywhere on the track and it just kept getting faster and faster and faster. I mean, I remember I was running third, and uh, Jimmy was dicing it up with uh, trying to pass John Spencer. Yeah. And they tangled. I just went out to the wall to go around them. And uh, after that, I mean, I knew I was champagne anyway. Yeah. But uh, after that, I just uh, let it eat. Man, that was it was amazing to watch, and you had to pit during the race for fuel. And and I remember something happened. I don't know if a push truck got over like off center. Well, or pump. what happened is, in all fairness, Billy Law was driving the push truck. Okay. And in all, and a lot of people blamed Billy Law. They said, you know, that uh, he he bumped the uh, oil tank. Well, he might have bumped it, but that oil tank was had already been patched. Ah, okay. It it had been cracked, and uh, it had been patched. So, in all fairness to Billy Law, it wasn't his fault because it would have it would have probably sprung a leak anyway. And uh, I, and I, but I remember going in for fuel, and I thought we, we've got this in the bag, and uh, went back out. And I think at that time, Chuck Siprich had taken the lead, yep. and. Uh, I went back out, and probably two laps later, I blew by him and had the lead again, and I remember it was 20 to go, I believe it was, 
and uh, I got black flag. Of course, I didn't know why I got black flag because the oil tank was in the back, and I I couldn't tell it was leaking oil. Right. Yeah, that's. However, uh, <laughs> I was just I I the the memory I have of that race was just you came through the field like a Japanese bullet train twice, basically. <laughs> Like, I, I had never seen anything like that. I mean, it was just, and of course, I'm screaming. And then I look over, my other hero, Jimmy, is in, in the on the inside hub rail and turns one and two, and he's cheering and clapping as you, yeah. you take the lead. I mean, that just had to be a very surreal drive for you to have a car that was just so hooked up that you could literally, literally put it anywhere and unlap yourself and go in. Run for the wheel. Yeah, it, it was it was it was an awesome ride, um, and I did have that picture, and I don't know where it's gone, but there was I, I remember a picture uh, of Jimmy on the infield, yeah, clapping his hands, yep, and I went by. I think I was waving to him when I was going by, and um, you know that was that was probably a highlight in my racing career, driving for a guy like him. And then having him cheer me on. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, I, I, I think he would have been more excited uh, to see you win in his rear engine car that he designed than yeah. you know if he had won. Uh, you know, that was the he, impression. He did I had. say that to me. Yeah, that's. He did say that. And so we we go from there to you driving for Clyde in 1980, and you just came out and and boy, you guys were on fire almost from the beginning of the season. It it seemed like, and you were, you know, if not the dominant car that year, you were certainly one of them, and ended up winning the championship. Yeah, well, I I remember that year as well. We had the championship uh, sewed up by August. Yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, I remember it was. You were pretty much. I think you won. Gosh, I don't remember. I, I, I it felt like you had won three features before we even got out of May. It, you were just yeah, so well, strong, yeah. you know. I think we, I think we won nine. Yeah. that year, but um, no, I, I remember, and I tried the car at Thompson in the uh, with a short stroke motor in it, and of course the wing, uh, the car wasn't you know wasn't a a barnstorm by any uh, stretch of imagination at thompson and i remember a buddy of mine saying uh conium what have you done because i had taken the ride <laughs> he says i don't think this is going to cut it at oswego and i think we i think we won the first night out with it yeah or or i think maybe the first night they I think, Our steering locked up, and we had the lead. I was going to say, I think that's what happened, because I think Bentley won opening night that night. That's right. And then you that's won the right. Port but, City. Yeah, yeah, but the, the power steering locked up. Well, it, it broke, and it locked up coming off the corner for the flag, and uh, Bentley got me. Yep, yep. But, no, that, that, was a good, that was a good year driving for Clyde. We had a, we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. What, what was it like to, to race for Clyde? Because... Uh, it's, it always seemed to me as, you know, outside looking in, um, Clyde always was tinkering, and it, and it seemed like he always was wanting to try something new. Um, I mean, is that kind of the impression you had as well? Yeah, well, that year, 
we had, you know, we had a car that he ran previous. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a brand new car, uh, but it, I mean it was a good car. It was a proven car, and uh, everything just clicked. And he didn't didn't do a lot of tinkering. Okay. But he did start. You know, the next car that he built, he made stuff lighter, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, consequently, it, it wasn't as uh, the car wouldn't finish a lot of races. But uh, Clyde was was a good guy to drive for. He never um, never got mad, you know. And there was times that uh, I would screw up, or he could have got mad, and, uh, but he didn't. So he he was always a good guy to drive for. He was, uh, and the car. I mean, the driver he's got now is doing a good job for him. Sure is. Clyde still. Junior. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But Clyde still um, likes to tinker. Yeah. You know he's. His his cars and now are they're, they're they're pretty sophisticated. Yeah, they certainly are. Well, he kind of, you know, he started the the whole sort of aero revolution um, of the super modifieds uh, in the mid nineties there with that first car that he built that Pat Abel drove and then Mike Ordway. But um, the irony of of when you told me earlier that Jimmy Champagne actually was the one that recommended you to drive for Clyde, the irony of that, now that I look at thinking about it, is that it was just, you know, a couple of years after that that um, you went to drive for Doug Duncan and Jimmy ended up racing for Clyde. Um, how did that all come about? Well, um, they, uh, Jim and, and uh, Clyde, had got together, and uh, you know they they decided they wanted to build a car, uh, you know that suited both of them, uh, something you know off the wall. <laughs> yeah, but and uh, <laughs> you know, and, and Jimmy actually, Jimmy came to me and said, "Look, uh, Clyde, Clyde and I want to build a car and, and run together to that." And I I was a little annoyed at first. But, uh, it, you know, it, it wasn't the end of the world. So I, uh, I went and drove for Duncan, and that worked out good. Sure did. Um, and probably one of the more satisfying classics was the one I won in Joe McGarry's car. Yes. Because, uh, you know, that, that wasn't a gift, and uh, it was a good working car. Yeah, that was another situation where, if I remember correctly, didn't you start out the season racing for Clyde, maybe? Or you maybe you didn't have a ride, but you ended up coming into the 10 car late in the year, did you not? Right. I didn't have a ride that year. Yeah, okay. And Dave McKnight drove the car a few times, and um, he called me and just said, uh, Joe McGarry is going to give you a call and wants to know if you're interested in driving the car. So um, that's how that came about. And you got in it, and that classic, too, was another one of those uh, typical Warren Conium drives because it wasn't as if, you know, after qualifying, we all looked and went, oh, Conium's the guy to beat. I mean, you had Bentley, you had Gene Lee Gibson, you had, you know, whoever um, else. And um, it was a situation where all of a sudden, late in the race, those guys got fighting in traffic, and... It, it almost seemed like, again, your car got better and better, or you, you were conserving yeah. one or the other. And Well, I was saving tires. Yeah. 
because a lot of guys will go out at the start of the Classic when you got a full load of fuel on, and, uh, you know, you heat the tires up. Yeah. And when, once you heat them up to the point where they're, you know, so hot, they just never come back. But in, in, so you still had a lot of race car left down the stretch, and I can remember. I, I'm not not even going to mention the name because I don't want. It's not about controversy here, but a certain driver was uh, making it very difficult for the two leaders. I think it was Bentley and Gene Lee to get by him, and all of a sudden, you just made this amazing move. It seemed like and shot right by the bunch um maybe in three and four and took the lead and it was like oh my goodness did that just happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh that was a gratifying race what uh you, you ended up winning the classic and then you did something that uh, it, it made me sad i have to tell you at the time but you you won the classic and retired like that was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> what what well, did you just know it was time well, you know what? Um, it's not a lot of racers that get to go out on their own terms. And uh, my son was at the age where, I think he was seven at the time. Right. And yep. he wanted to start racing go-karts. And like I said, it it's not that often a guy gets a chance to uh, go out and say, you know, uh, I won the last race and quit. So, uh, that's what I decided. I mean, my wife didn't even know that I was going to quit. Um, we went to the bank, but they had, you know, they, they were, I, I got, I don't know, a driver of the year award yeah. and classic award, you know, different accolades and so on and so forth. And I'm up there and trying to think of what, what to say. And my wife had gone to the washroom and she came back out and she's standing at the end of the, back of the room and i announced that i was retiring i remember that i was there <laughs> and she and then i walked back to the table and she said so what the hell are we going to do on saturday nights <laughs> how many car owners tried to talk you out of that decision well i had a few <laughs> offers and uh joe was kind of upset because he didn't know okay he he, he Hey, well, he told me he was going to build a new car for the following year, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sorry I quit. It's uh, it's a matter of going out in your own terms. Absolutely, you have nothing to be sorry for. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was again for me so much of I, growing up in racing, and, we, and I think. You know, I'm sure Ryan, if if he were sitting in on this conversation, would probably say the same thing. A lot of the life lessons we learned, we learned through racing somehow. And that that was sort of the first time that that I had seen a driver who had just done something so remarkable. Just say, you know what? I've had enough. I, I want to say, if I remember the quote correctly, at least partially, what you said was, I'm not saying I'm going to quit, but I'm just going to slow down for a while, something to that effect. And I, I, I thought, wow, is, is he really not going to race anymore? And it was just then as I get older, that started to make sense. Like you were going out, like you said, on your own terms, on top, 
and satisfied with your career. And again, when I when I look at the car owners that you had the chance to drive for and all the things that you accomplished and had the chance to do and I mean, it's just amazing, really, and you and you experience that period of growth in the division, and we're so much a part of the foundation of that division coming over every week from Canada. Yeah, it, it, it truly was uh, a great time to be racing because, like I say, I started in, you know, the old boxy-type super modified, yep. you know, back in Canada yep. here. Uh, I went from... Uh, you know, running a Buick engine or small block Chevrolets yep. to running, uh, you know, big block Chevrolets. Uh, I mean, one motor that I drove for Clyde, uh, Phil Miller built, it, it was a thousand horsepower. Holy cow. Yeah. And that one, that one car that, uh, I drove for Howard Purdy, like it was an all aluminum, a uh, Reynolds all aluminum big block. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, so, it, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, a thousand horsepower. I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around that one. That <laughs> yeah. must have been amazing to, to, to step on the pedal. That was, a, well, that was a, a D-stroke motor, and you didn't really notice it. Okay. It didn't have it didn't have a ton of torque. Where it got its horsepower was from RPM. Okay. I mean, you, you very, very seldom guys, now guys do run uh, short-stroke motors now in big blocks, and they turn them up pretty good. But back in that at that time, nobody was turning a big block Chevrolet at eighty five hundred, mm. and we ran we ran that motor eighty five hundred RPM all the time. Oh my, that's amazing! Um, so yeah, it, it was for a big block. I can yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, that just what a what a career you had, Warren. And, and uh, uh, I am so thankful to have been a fan, and eventually. You know, part of it through the media, which actually was the year after you retired. So I never got to interview you as media, uh, probably until now, actually. And, and uh, you know, got to tell you, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm so thankful to be able to do this and appreciative of your time um, and the memories that you gave to me and to all the other fans. Um, just amazing, and it, and it was cool to see Ryan eventually come to Oswego and race in the in the small block division, and and then you know in some of the Isma shows and such. And um, just to know you guys is is amazing, and and just thank you for the time, and thank you for uh, all the memories that you gave us, because boy, that that that's a long career that you had and a very successful one and you you drove for just about every uh top car owner in the business at one time or another that's pretty that's pretty special well thank thanks very much tom it's uh it was a great ride uh, you know i had uh had a lot of fr- friends through it uh met a lot of great people still you know i went out this past winter with uh Eddie and Phyllis Bellinger were okay. in Florida, and we, we hooked up down in Florida. So, you know, I've got a lot of great friends, and, oh, you know, my son's got a lot of great friends for racing. So uh, it wasn't all in vain. Not at all. I mean, you know, uh, I would think, looking back, uh, sometimes it would just make you shake your head and say, I can't believe I did all that. <laughs> yeah. It was a great ride. <laughs> yeah, certainly was. Uh, we, like I said, we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, and uh, you know, I feel like I could fill another couple of shows with you. Just uh, memories and 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 times that I remember you just 
doing Warren Conium things the night that you drove Brad Lichty's car and went from the back of the field to third. It just memories like that, uh, watching you in traffic and, you know, just the way that you drove your style uh, made a huge impression. And, you know, it was certainly fun to watch all those years. And again, appreciate the time to talk with you here on Inside Groove. Thanks for uh, taking us down memory lane. And uh, we we certainly uh, hope that you and uh, Linda and all the family remain well and hope to see you at Oswego at some point. Thanks very much, Tom. It's, uh, it's my pleasure talking to you. And we'll be down there this year. We'll Good. be down uh, a couple or three times. Not sure just how many, but we'll be down. And, like, I'll be spending time with uh, Ryan. He's gonna he's back going to run... Uh, 360 sprint cars this year oh good off and on he he's pretty busy but uh it's that's just his golf game so we're gonna do that and he'll probably run a he'll probably run a show or two in isma perfect well we certainly will look forward to seeing him back on the track and you know may i also add at the close of this uh condolences uh to you and your family and of course doug sire's family uh i was sad to hear of his passing and i know uh the rest of the super modified world shares that so we his his legend and and his uh time at oswego will live on and we'll remember him fondly as well well thank you very much tom that was great uh you know we had a um celebration of life for doug uh a couple of weeks ago and uh, a lot of people there had a great time. A lot of great memories with Doug. Uh, you know, he had a wonderful family. Yep. Um, and he didn't regret one moment of his life. And, uh, you know, he lived a good life, 88 years old. Um, and, and Norm and Mark Macrath were at the celebration of life. Uh, and a, lot of, a lot of people, a bunch of racers. Yep. And uh, Doug, Doug would have appreciated hearing uh some of the stories that went around i'm sure yeah it's uh certainly enough of those and uh we we i love doug and and really enjoyed watching him race and uh uh we'll remember him fondly so again thanks warren for your time and uh maybe later in the year uh, we can do this again and talk some more not a problem i appreciate it appreciate being on and uh hope everybody enjoys it hey here's a little fish tale for you It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them.
You know what? It's time to get Ryan Conium on the show. We had Warren, of course, his dad, on one of our early shows, and Warren was a big hit. And happy to now bring Ryan uh, onto the program and talk with him a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of people know Ryan. If you're a longtime Oswego Speedway fan, of course you know Ryan, and you know that he raced uh, small block or limited back then, super modifieds at the Speedway for a good bit and uh, spent a fair amount of time running Super Modifieds on the ISMA uh, tour and drove for, uh, continues actually every once in a while to pop up driving one of the uh, Lichty cars, had his own car for a bit, um, and has been doing some sprint car racing over the years as well and has returned to that. But there's even more to Ryan than all of that, and we'll uh, try to cover some of that ground as well as we uh unfold our conversation with him so we'll say uh welcome to inside groove ryan it is really cool to have you on the podcast wow that's quite an introduction tom i appreciate it uh glad to be here well we're we're happy to have you here and um the last that you and i had chatted on classic weekend uh i understood that you were kind of moving back in the direction of doing more sprint car racing and moving back east. But uh, I think I may have misinterpreted that, that you, you're not actually, because uh, you're still in Denver, uh, you just told me yesterday, so you're not actually moving closer to the east coast. You're just doing more racing on the east coast. Is that about uh, how that's working out for you right now? Actually, no, you got it right. Um, oh. I'm, not, I'm not living in Denver anymore. Um, I've, I've got a house in Cleveland. Oh wow! Um, I just I just had to come out to Denver to deal with something. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. So I get to be out here this weekend. I got you. Okay. Is it snowing out there? It, they they had a bunch of snow when I came in, um, but it's starting to warm up and it's going away. Oh, good. That's kind of one of the things I miss about this city. It's uh, if you don't like the weather now, just wait twenty minutes. It'll be totally different. <laughs> well, <laughs> growing up in the Swigo was basically the same way. Uh, I think anywhere where there's a proclivity for extremes in weather, you get that kind of fluctuation. But uh, so you're living in Cleveland now. That's interesting. Um, home of the Browns uh, and uh, a lot of other cool sports teams. Uh, but also not all that far from Sandusky Speedway and the whole kind of MSS territory out there. So at least there's somewhat of a super modified fan base in that area. Yeah, I mean, you know, being back east, uh, it, it's definitely more in the heart of racing than Denver, Colorado. Um, I, I think there's a little bit here. I, I actually, I think this is one of the few states I've never even raced in. Um Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a lot it's a lot easier uh, to race back east, and uh, yeah, it's just good to be back closer to home, and obviously lots of friends and family now, back that direction. Was it a specific uh, sort of job or or career situation that brought you to Cleveland? I, I don't know too many people who just sort of look at a map of the U.S. and go, "Yeah, Cleveland, let's go." Uh, you know it. it, it it kind of worked out a little bit weird. Um, I did, I did make a change, um, professionally. Yeah. And, uh, and they just basically said, you know, geographically, wherever you want to land, um, let us know and we'll work around that. And, you know, with the intent to go back racing sprint cars, some, um, Ohio is a fairly easy spot to do that from. For you sure. Can, you, you, 
you can run, you know, upstate New York stuff. You can run Ohio. You can run Indiana, Michigan. Um, and it's, you know, a, a six to eight hour radius and you can hit a, a good number of races. So that, that was kind of the thinking. And, you know, I think that's kind of what we're going to employ next year. Okay. So let's go back a little bit because I wanted, I want to go all the way back with you. And first of all, just talk about how it all got started for you. Of course, uh, your dad, Warren, being one of the all-time greats to ever sit in a supermodified and race at the Oswego Speedway and also one of my favorite people in supermodified racing from the time I was about five. Um, you know, you you obviously grew up with it. and You had, you had Warren, you had uh, obviously your, your grandpa, Doug Sire, was involved in the sport what is, if you can think back, what is your earliest or what are your earliest memories of racing, supermodifieds, whatever? What are your earliest memories of kind of that whole thing? Oh, man, uh, there's so many of them, you know, um, living at Clyde and Sue booths every week in the summer. Um, oh, wow. You know, uh, while they get ready to go racing, I think we would usually get there on uh, Thursday night or a Friday, and then we'd go racing wherever it may be um, that weekend, you know, whether it was Oswego or whether we took the car or whether they took the car and went racing a wing show somewhere. Okay. Um, So, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of memories of that, uh, you know, I was I was pretty young. My dad retired when I was uh, six. Okay, and um, that was his last year. Um, and then, you know, when it was when it was big races uh, like the classic and whatnot, I, I wasn't always allowed to go. Uh, he he was there to do a job and stay focused. So, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't have a lot of memories of the classic. Um, but, but certainly so many good memories of of just being around race cars and growing up around it. And, you know, in my grandpa's garage, obviously my grandpa owned his own. So at at his shop, you know, I, I could see them, but, um, certainly, you know, Clyde and Sue booths were a huge part of it. Um, and, and so many great people that it's so crazy to see today. Um, you know, some of the, some of my greatest memories, in uh in racing when i when i was younger uh racing a sprint car a bunch i'd come back and run the odd um wing show yeah and and i can remember i I was pretty young uh we were at cayuga for a a canadian show when um brad litke on the track yes and uh and obviously uh you know uh, brad and everybody they're like family They, they treat me so good um and he'd give me the opportunity to run the car when it didn't conflict with sprint car racing. Well, however it, it worked out, we, we ended up, I don't know, second or something like that on this given night. But I can remember, um, I'll never forget this Joe Gosick won. you know, we were kind of battling for the win with Joe and I was, I was somewhat in awe sitting there. Cause I mean, I had watched Joe when I was real little, Sure. you know, I could, I can remember watching my dad race with Joe And then now, you know, uh, I've been lucky enough to race with Ordway and Ordway Jr. and, you know, uh, Brandon Bellinger. It's just really, it's pretty cool how the world spins and 
Um, if you're lucky enough to be born into a racing family, you know, and that's, that's a, a passion you choose to chase down, uh, often you get to see uh, progression of, of many people in the same situation. Well, I've said f- for years and years and, and, and have said it several times this year on this show, um, I've been involved in a lot of different um, aspects of the sport, as of you as well. And um, I I have not seen, with the exception of maybe, you know, the odd dirt track uh, here or there, I have never seen more multi-generational involvement in one particular division or track, you know, part of the sport than I've seen at Oswego and, and in Supermodifieds in general. And, and uh, you know, as you said, if you're lucky enough to be born into a racing family, there's all that to sort of to go do. But at the same time, the people that you get to meet and, and who become you know, lifelong friends. I mean, it, they become families. You said the Lichties, you know, are, are, uh, are, 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 I'm sure like family to you and you've driven for them a number of times. I think you, you kept, when you had your car, I think you kept your, did you keep the, the 46 car with them as well? I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They yeah. housed it yeah. and maintained it and took it to the racetrack. And, you know, they, they helped me, um, way back when I was in sprint cars and got my first crack at running the world of outlaws at the end of the, Oh, I want to say it was maybe the end of the 2001 season. Uh, Shane Stewart got let go from Holbrook motorsports. Um, and I got the nod to run that car for the balance of the year. Um, you know, Brad and along with my parents and, um, a number of people helped put that deal together. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's definitely unique to sprint car or to uh, to super modified racing. I think uh, to the extent that that many people stay that involved. Yeah, uh, but you know you you see it you do see it in other other forms of oh, yeah. um, racing, um, but certainly uh, with with the legacy of Oswego Speedway and you know uh, how cool super modifieds are. It's it's really interesting to see. Well, it is. And I just think, I mean, you look at, you just think about some names off the top of our heads. Of course, you know, a pair of coniums, you know, and, and, and Doug Sire, that, that kind of that whole family and Doug Jr. building motors, not necessarily driving, but building motors. Um, you know, you've got the Muldoons, the Joyas, the Bellingers, and there were three Muldoons or there are three Muldoons so far that have been, um, you know, all of, you just keep, right on going down the list and in it it feels like you know a quarter or more of the oswego speedway field every year is multi-generational and then you got the shulicks and you know the midwest guys and the ordways and those you know guys from new england it's it's amazing um but you started um your you started racing obviously i think if i'm not mistaken you started in go-karts right at least that's where i first met you was- I did actually. Uh, yeah. Um, when my dad retired, you know, we, uh, it, it started a, with a toe in the water and before long, you know, we had dove in pretty <laughs> heavy. In the deep end. <laughs> um, it, it, be, it, it, it became as much of a passion for me as, you know, for my dad replacing, um, him, him not being able not running anymore. 
um, he was all in on, on go-kart. So, uh, you know, and, and so many people have that story and oh, yeah. it's, it's just, you're so lucky and you look back on it now and there's no way to even put it in perspective for people that don't, uh, that don't do it or aren't involved. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty cool. So, we, you know, we went, we kind of progressed from go-karts and found, you know, whatever series and, and pit gate I could get in yeah. uh, at the age of 15. It happened to be, you know, like an open wheel modified. Um, and, and then just kind of progressed up the ranks uh, from there. We did run a season of the limiteds yeah. at Oswego. Um, then from there, we, we, got into ROC Modifieds, you know. Oh, that, that's right. I forgot all yeah. about that chapter of your career. Wow, you yeah. did run a Modified, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I uh, I was at that stage where, uh, and, and, you know, I've been through this stage a couple of times, so how bright am I? But, um, <laughs> you know, where I probably was trying to do too much uh, with the tools I had and, you know, wound up in trouble in a lot of places. We went through a fair bit of equipment with that. Um, oh, wow. had some decent, had some decent runs. Uh, but you know, we were, we were, we were overextended, uh, ah. both from a, both from probably a, a capability and knowledge standpoint, um, as well as, um, you know, what we could afford to do, uh, feasibly. Uh, so that was actually, uh, I believe that year was the last year we owned race cars. Oh, okay. Um, and I think I, I would say I was probably 16 or 17 at the time. Um, and then I was lucky enough, a fan of my dad's. And, you know, this is this is where people who grow up in, in, a, in a racing family have the have the leverage or, or you know, capacity um, to get opportunities that other folks might not get. Right. Uh, a fan, a fan of my dad's, um, just happened to, you know, connect with us and say, do you want to try a sprint car? And I was like, well, you know, I was always under the impression that dirt really was for growing potatoes, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that, that I, I fell in love with it the first lap and you know that was driving for Rick Burt and uh, we did it very much at a, a local level okay. um to start and then man that that blossomed pretty quickly and had some good runs and had some wins um and then again you know to kind of exploit the the fact that a fan of my dad's um was connected to a company called VSM Abrasives and BSM Abrasives was took a a really uh, um, title sponsor, I would say, of uh, of a series, a small series. And we got connected with him, and you know, he just came to me and said, "I want to go racing. I don't want to sponsor a series anymore. I want to sponsor a car." And uh, would be want to know if if you want to be involved. I think I can and help I you like, with that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? And, you know, you, you hear these stories from people and they blow smoke and you, know, you don't know what to expect. And this guy just said, yeah, I'll be back from Germany in two weeks. Let's get together. And sure enough, in two weeks, uh, we, we got back together and, you know, we started at a 
kind of a regional 360 deal um, that- and, you know, gained some notoriety and, and, and got going pretty well. Was that, um, was that the uh, Southern Ontario? Well, deal? that's where it started. That's, oh, okay. That, we, that, that was the series that he sponsored. Oh, okay. Because um, I remember that. Pr- yeah. So we ran that for half a year, um, and then we ran um, the Empire Super okay. Sprint. Yes, that series, sure. Yep. Yeah, for half a year. And then the following year, you know, we, we got pretty serious about it. Uh, we were buying cars and components off of Junior Holbrook. Uh, oh, they wow. owned they owned a, a, a lot of good race cars uh, for good drivers. Sure, yeah. Um, got our first big truck and trailer, and, you know, we started racing. I think, you know, that year we probably raced 55 times um with the 360 all over the place wow i say all over the i, I say all over the place but uh, you know um maybe a little bit further uh than than the empire super sprints yeah sure took us. a little bigger regional kind of direction yeah not necessarily exactly. cross country but you know just a bigger more ambitious uh uh map than what you were doing with the ss that's correct yeah um and then when we got to the end of that season, um, you know, we had talked about getting a 410. So, so we got a we had, we got a 410 and ran a handful of uh, at the time gum out races. And actually, uh, you know, the the funniest thing, our, our first 410 show, um, we were supposed to run in Ohio, got rained out had to, you know, haul ass back to upstate New York to run a, um, a point show for ESS. Oh, wow. Um, and then we wound up running a gum out show um, at Fonda. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I remember we won, we won one of the dashes uh, and I was, I was just kind of floored. It was hilarious because there's <laughs> no way we should have been winning a dash. Um, had a good run that night. And then the next time we ran it, we went out to, we were in Iowa for the, what was called the Tournament of Champions, a big 360 race. Okay. And we happened to run another gum out show. And with like two laps to go, uh, we were running second to Tyler Walker. Um, it was a rubbered up racetrack. So we kind of inherited that second place, uh, by default. And then, uh, like on the last lap or something, both Tyler and I ran out of fuel. So we, we kind of got a decent rhythm uh, for running um, for running 410 races. Okay. And and uh, Hal, who was uh, with VSM at the time, uh, said, okay, we're going full tilt at this. Let's pick a series. And so we picked the All-Stars and the following year, um, that that same year I finished out in the eight H car and um we uh, the following year we hit the All Stars full time. Um and it, it was a lot of fun, you know, we got that was when the All Stars and the Outlaws ran a lot of co sanctioned shows. I I think we probably had oh goodness maybe twenty co sanctioned races with the Outlaws. Okay. So um yeah, it was it was a pretty big eye opener, and you know, we that's I, I learned a lot of lessons. 
I so. can imagine, yeah. I mean, and who would have thought? Because obviously when, you know, when you were growing up, I mean, your dad raised supers, right? And so you you started go-karts and then, you know, kind of went here and went there. And next thing you know, you're you're headed toward a national sprint car situation on the dirt. Like that, again, you just never know where the sport can take you sometimes. Yeah, you know, it, it's... Um... I just I'm I'm so lucky to have been able to do some of the things that I've I've gotten to do and you know so much of it all just goes back to my last name um you know that 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 opened a lot of doors and uh I I you know I I would be remiss if I didn't remind myself that a lot well, so it it's a humbling thing right cuz you get you kind of keep yourself grounded and it's like you know look what I had the chance to do how thankful am I to to have been you know, a part of all that. Um, and as you said, you're, you, it isn't that you were, and, and again, I think people, you know, the big, the, the, the popular thing today, especially when you hear, you know, some fans talk about NASCAR seems to be NASCAR takes the brunt of this, but you know, spoiler little rich kids, if it wasn't for his name or if it wasn't for their money, your daddy's money, whatever, you weren't handed anything. You had connections because of the, the last name, but it isn't like you were gifted these opportunities. You had to go prove you could drive, and you had to obviously live up to expectations in order for these things to continue to happen in your career to continue to grow. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I would say, um, if I'm being honest, it, it, it wasn't really a talent thing, though. It was, I probably outworked people. Okay, well, um, but that's part of it too. Sure, uh, like in the 360 thing, you know, we we were really a well prepared 360 team, um, and for having no experience, really, we were we really were out punting our coverage in a lot of cases. Sure, uh, but you know, I'm going to attribute a lot of that to some of the guys that I ran with. You know, they were willing to help. Um, I'll never forget something that, I mean, I, I just, I will never forget this in my life. Um, we're running the ESS deal for the first time and we're fast, but we're chewing up equipment. Um, and I, and I'm wearing cars out pretty good and, you know, how's sure. good enough to just, you know, right, let's get another one. Well, <laughs> we were, we were at this, this racetrack and I get the two confused at, there's state line and Erez, so we're running a, a Saturday Sunday. Yeah, and I think it was state line we were at first, and this was the this was the first time I really busted my ass. I went for one hell of a ride trying to go from like you know tenth to the lead in, a in lap. one lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and after the race, uh, Lance Young, who is a really good sprint car super, racer, super nice guy too. A great guy. Yes. Um, you know, he had he, he ran Central Pennsylvania, and he was now running the ESS deal. Right. He came up to me, and he's like, you know what? You'll probably win a bunch of races, but you're never going to win a championship. He says, you got to slow down. He says, take what's given to you. And these are all things, you know, my dad uh, instilled in me over the years. <laughs> but it's one thing to hear it from your dad. It's just and it's another to thing to hear it yeah. from a, a competitor who yep. you really respect. Yep. Well, the next night we're at, you know, the, I think it was Erez. And these are not places that are in my real wheelhouse, you know, small, slick, 
finesse places and uh we ran second and the leader got disqualified for not going to the scale or, or something like that and uh Lance comes up to me after the race. He's like, see, you're so patient now. You, you don't even have to pass people on the racetrack. You can pass them in the pits and still win races. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, some of those moments um, you look back on and, and you really appreciate the group of competitors that you're with, whether it's in super modifieds or whether it's in uh, sprint cars Sure. And, you know, every one of us has these stories, you know, that, that mentors are, um, are willing to teach us. And uh, that's pretty humbling. You know, guys like Dale Blaney have helped me a lot. Like when I started running the All-Star deal, he was one of the first guys um, to, you know, stick his hand in, in the cockpit and say, hey, man, use your head here. Or do you want to do this or you're going to want to do that? Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's really cool looking back and, and seeing some of those things. So at some point you were running sprint cars and then you went in a really different direction. Um, you stopped racing or at least you cut back your racing. You can kind of explain the transitional, but you ended up down here um, working um, I want to say Michael Waltrip might have been your first opportunity, but you can tell me better. But you ended up in NASCAR and climbed all the way to crew chief. Can, what, what, can you take us back to sort of that point in your life, you're racing sprint cars? How did it go from racing sprint cars and maybe, you know, on the verge of national series or whatever to, you know, to, to hey, let's go, let's go to work in NASCAR. So, um you know, one thing that uh, I've learned about myself kind of later in my career is, um, you know, to make your living at any professional sport, uh, you got to be really good about a bad night. That's the end of the bad night. And you got to focus on the next night yes. for it to be better. How you handle um, the downtimes. Yes. Yeah. I, I was never very good at that. You know, oh. it really didn't. It really didn't matter where we ran. It wasn't good enough. Uh, we could have had a great night. I could still just focus on the bad night. So that that was going to be the demise of my career at some point. So I coupled that with you know the the, the business aspect of racing, and and regardless of what level it's at, there's politics, there's business, and sure. you know it really sucks the life out of why you do what you do. Um, you know, I would say when that's probably the single, one of the bigger advantages, if you have money and you're not beholden to the politics or the business side of racing, you can really focus on what you like to do about it. Right. Um, but you know, when you're trying to find rides and trying to put together sponsorship deals and stuff like that, it, that it, it took a toll on me anyhow. So I was lucky enough. Um, Kenny Jacobs was driving for um, Pete Grove in the 70 car. They had a pretty big year. Uh, I think they were third at the Knoxville Nationals. Um, well, the following year, actually not too long after they ran third at Knoxville, uh, Pete got a hold of me. And he said, hey, man, I'm looking to do something different for next year. Um, 
wondered if you'd be interested in driving a 70 car. And I mean, it is a car wow. that just ran third yeah. of the Knoxville nationals. So, uh, he's like, you know, I, I, th- I think our, our, our rookie year in the all-stars, we ran fourth in points. So we had a decent year. Right. And that's what, that's what Pete wanted to do. He wanted to run, uh, the all-stars and he really wanted to take a swing at a championship. Um, and so I was like, absolutely, man. That's, I mean, that's what I want to do. Well, that, that did not go so well. Um, you you know, we just, we couldn't get a rhythm. We couldn't, I just wasn't happy. They weren't happy. Uh, so I wound up quitting halfway through the year and, and that was a pretty tough decision because, you know, I, what am I going to do? I've been driving a race car for a living for a couple of years now and I don't really have a whole lot of options. So, um, I was lucky enough how wanted to put a deal back together for the following year. We'd talked about going silver crown racing and we'd talked about putting a super together and, you know, we talked about a number of different things. Well, we were both kind of separately watching the Knoxville nationals and, uh, and he called me that night. He's like, it's not a silver crown car. It's not a super. He said, we're going sprint car racing again. So we put the 46 car together okay. um, and hired a, I hired a really good buddy of mine, uh, Shane Wisbon, and he and I clicked right off the bat. Whatever, whatever reason it is and whatever fit and form and function, um, it just went well. Wow. And uh, we got rolling pretty good um, to the point that, you know, I'd, we'd, I'd been talking to somebody about doing an outlaw deal. Um, you know, we weren't winning a ton of races, but we were pretty consistently in the dash for outlaw races when we went, um, we did get a, a, you know, a pretty big win that year. Um, we, we were just on a roll and we had old motors. Um, and, and that's, you know, a, a big part of it. So we felt like we could probably be competitive at the next level. Well, uh, as that year was winding up, you know, I knew the, I knew the, the band con thing with, with how was probably going to come to an end, but I wasn't too worried about it because, you know, I was talking to, um, I was talking to a couple people about doing an outlaw deal. Okay. Well then, you know, late in that, just as our season ended, um, hadn't really announced that we'd been talking to some people. And just before we were putting things together before PRI, uh, somebody came along and hired Shane away. That took all the wind out of my sails. I just said right there, I can't deal with racing anymore. I don't want to. Um, You know, one of the things, like I stood back and just said, you know, I don't want to be 50 years old and have to go get my first job. And um, to me, that's what racing that, that, that was the picture of the future for me. So I just kind of stepped back from it and started a fabrication business. Um, and that got going pretty well, uh, but there was just something missing. And uh, I, I was actually talking a really close friend of mine, uh, Bobby Slack, okay. who owns Bicknell Racing sure. Products or yep. part of Bicknell's. Um, was in my shop one night and, you know, we were both talking about stuff we wanted to do and stuff that made sense to us and, you know, just 
what makes us happy. And I mean, I've never been a fan of NASCAR. I'd never really watched NASCAR races. And I said, you know, I could probably go down there and in five years, you know, have a, have a decent little career out of it. Uh, you know, more so on the engineering and, and, you know, car management side. Sure. And for some reason, we landed at a $1 bet that in five years I couldn't become a crew chief. And uh, <laughs> so that's. Uh, so that $1 bet became a goal and became a motivator. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, and I went down there without, you know, I, I, was, I was lucky enough to kind of collapse up the business and, you know, we did, did okay with that. Um, didn't know piles of money and, um, I, I had kind of the freedom to just go down there and knock on some doors Sure. and I didn't really have a game plan for immigration. I didn't really have a game plan <laughs> for what I could do. Uh, and I knocked on this one door at, uh, MB two. Oh yeah. Um, and they didn't have a receptionist and one of the guys walking through the, um, they were in a new building and one of the guys walking through the showroom, I just kind of introduced myself. I said, Hey, my name's Ryan Conium and I'm, you know, looking to move down here and maybe work on a team. And the guy looked at me, he says, any relation to Warren? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah it's my dad. And so it turns out it was Ryan Pemberton, uh, oh, who, okay. I, who was from upstate New York. Originally, yep. Um, and he gave me my first job on the engineering team uh, at MB2. Wow. And so, you know, that that's just kind of how it progressed. Um and, you know, that was such a fun time. Uh, you know, the guys that on the on the engineering side of it, you know, we're still all really close friends. Um, and it was a really interesting time to be getting into that because that's when, you know, tools to make race cars fast were just starting to evolve. Right. So, you know, we had very basic steady state simulation stuff and shaker rigs and squish rigs and stuff like that um so it was really if you could kind of grasp it um and you could kind of figure out a way to come up with a cool way of of proving a concept you got to do that um because testing was starting to be restricted right so yet you really had to exploit some of these tools and uh you know one of the one of the benefits is Growing up around the supers, um, you do. You, you have to be able to weld. You have to be able to machine. You have to be able to engineer. Um, and these were all tools that, you know, really got well exploited when I was in a cup deal. Um, and, yeah, just kind of the right place at the right time uh, in a couple of different situations. Um, I worked with Ryan there. Uh, then we got bought out by Gin, and then we got bought out by DEI. That's right. Um, yep. And then from there, I went up and worked with Tommy Baldwin uh, at Bill Davis. Um, okay. And that that was a really fun time because you know that was kind of at the emergence of uh, teams starting to become big teams. 
so Bill Davis at the time was, you know, a smaller team. Uh, so you got to wear lots of different hats. Right. Um, so I worked with Tommy and Slugger Labby up there. Um, and um, Dax, one of the, actually the race engineer that I, I believe he's still on the four car. Um, or, or Harvick drives. Okay. Um, he left to go to Michael Waltrip Racing. And we were just chatting one day, and uh, he was working with Ryan Pemberton over there. And he's like, hey, Ryan told me to give you a call. He says, would you consider coming over to MWR? And so, you know, that was kind of my first big team experience. So I was at MWR for a while, and um, then from there, obviously, I I came out to uh, Colorado and worked with the 78 guys and uh got to crew chief that car for a little while um and it just seemed like you know a a pretty defining moment for me in that was um for whatever reason i just didn't i was i was starting to peek out with it it just wasn't me anymore um i was at we were at dover i believe and it was a miserable it was a miserable Friday. It was a miserable Saturday. It didn't matter what we did to the race car. We went slower. Uh, you know, um, just you, you go through those weekends. Right. Sim tools aren't, you know, really lining up with what the car is doing. So you're kind of having to hillbilly or redneck your way through the weekend. So at the end of practice, uh, I was sitting in the motorhome and going through notes and trying to dartboard at a at a wall to figure out what we should do for the next day. And uh, I went out in out front of um, out front of Dover. There's you know some restaurants and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I I walked out to go to a restaurant. And I'm all dejected and pissed off and miserable. And I happened to see uh, this family of four, and, and they had uh, one of the one of their kids was uh, handicapped and in a wheelchair, and um, they're all wearing their probably Dale Earnhardt Jr. garb and excited <laughs> and thrilled. And you know, I kind of stood back and said, "This is the happiest day of their life," and I am a miserable ass something's got to change here. So, um, you know, it wasn't too long after that, that, uh, that I was, I was done in NASCAR and ready to do something different. Um, so let's, let's, uh, unpack a, a little bit of that more. You, you were at MWR for a while and that was obviously at that point in time, as I remember, that was a growing team. I mean, that was in their evolution as one of Toyota's, you know, Top flagship. Teams. Yeah, flagship teams. Um and then you ended up going to Furniture Row, which of course um was at that point in time a team that was much smaller um and was on its way up in its arc, you know, its evolution, but it was still a part time team or maybe just a full time team and it it you know, they weren't obviously quite to the, the, the caliber that they ended up being. Tell me um, tell me what, uh, w- tell me about that transition and what it was like to go from sort of the, what, what I would compare to a more corporate environment at NWR to 
um, over to Furniture Row, and then how did you sort of end up being the crew chief for, I think, Regan Smith at the time, right? Yeah, so it, pretty um, – I got exposed to some really great opportunities. Uh, when I was at MWR, uh, I was a race engineer. And, you know, competition meetings and engineering meetings sure. and, it, you know, it really um, – it 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 was corporate. That yeah. I think you you said it best. Yeah. Uh, but I got to work with some really smart guys. Nick Hughes, who was the engineering manager, um, probably the smartest guy that's ever worked in NASCAR, my opinion. Um, Dax Geringer, who's the race engineer, the lead engineer uh, over at Stuart Haas now. Okay. Um, the crew chief for Kyle Larson, Chad Johnson, was one of the race engineers. Oh wow. Uh, Billy Scott, who I believe is uh, another uh, crew chief at uh, Stuart Haas today. I think he's with Amarola. Okay. Uh, so there was a group of us um, that, that really got to work on some cool stuff. Well, MWR kind of started the um, satellite team deal uh, with Jermaine Racing. And what they did is they would purchase cars off of MWR and then they bought engineering okay from MWR and I was what they bought so oh, wow. I would go over there um they didn't have uh they had a really good truck program but uh that's a far cry from a solid cup program sure um so with with Max Pappas as the driver um, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I did a lot of the. Um, I, I did a lot of the crew chief and race engineer job. Uh, Hillman's uh, were were treated me like gold. They they uh, I can't say enough about them. Um, they'd let me call the race. Oh, they wow. would. They would let me kind of just do whatever. And when Max ran the truck. They'd have me come and work with Max on that just so we could get a rhythm uh, for the cup deal. And, you know, uh, eventually, um, so we eventually that got to be pretty onerousome. And um, I, I talked them into hiring kind of a more seasoned crew chief so I could kind of just focus on the engineering side of things. Um, cause it was a pretty daunting task, uh, to have the satellite yeah, it's like two full-time, two full-time yeah. jobs almost. Yeah. So, um, hired, uh, Peter Suspenzo ah, uh, and, okay. and I worked, I worked with Peter for a while and then, uh, followed on by, uh, by Booty Barker okay. and I, I got to work with, uh, with Booty for a while. And, uh, you know, that, that was a, a great education. You know, it, it allowed me to do the job at first and go, okay, you know, there's some things that I got to work on if I would want to do this, you know, kind of at the primo level. And, the crew chief and part, be, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And be yeah. good at it. Um, and then got to step back and work with some of these more seasoned crew chiefs and, you know, got to watch what they did and you know from a from a technical standpoint we were pretty well in alignment but from a tactical standpoint um you know there was some things that i thought they did really well so it, it was a good education 
And then, um, what was, uh, let me, let me, I, I want to know what was it like to work with Max Pappas as a driver? Cause you know I, what? He I've is, had the pleasure to interview a, him a couple times. He is a scream. Yeah. Um, he's, we, we're he's hilarious. Yeah. We're, we're pretty good friends and you know, the, he and I had a pretty good relationship. I'll, I'll never forget this one time. Uh, we actually got rolling pretty good. We could qualify really well. We would, man, most times we would out-qualify the, the other MWR cars. Well, we were at Texas. I think it was Texas. And uh, I think we qualified like third or fourth. And, you know, we're debriefing and Max is all pumped up and, the next day we had, you know, P2 and uh, happy hour. Right. And we just kind of fell back into that rhythm where, you know, our race program wasn't as strong as our qualifying program. Right. So, you know, you're looking at 10 lap averages and you're looking at speeds and you're going, oh, man, this could be this could be ugly. So, uh Cal Wells and Hillman and myself uh, were meeting about, you know, the next day's events. And uh, they just looked at me and they said, well, what do you think? And I said, this start could be, could be pretty messy. And uh, they kind of looked and they said, yeah. And, you know, they, they were kind of, they were beating around the bush, but not so much, uh, not pretty obvious about it, right. about how to, uh, how to maybe convince Max to start at the back. Oh, and I was like, okay. I was like, you know, I, I don't think he's going to go for that. So, um, the next day, uh, the driver and crew chief meeting, um, is pretty critical. And sure. if you're late to that, you start at the back. Well, that next day I, uh, I was pretty late to it. So needless to say, I, I had some apologies <laughs> to do to Max, but, uh, but Hillman and, you know, some of the other folks, uh, certainly Cal Wells being one of them was, uh, smiled as I, as I walked by and he just, eh, that was clever. Yeah. I was so, going to say, you picked a really interesting way to solve a problem, right? Yeah. So, oh, you know, man. that, that kind of gave me the really good contrast between the big corporate team and, you know, the smaller team. I just felt like the smaller teams to me felt more like the racing I could relate to, you yes. know, I think that's um, still true today too. Yeah. You, you do what you, you know, you do what you got to do uh, to get out there and win. And uh, so Regan called. He and I knew each other fairly well from the MB2 days. Uh, we just became good friends. Never really worked together. Um, just a, a little bit um, during the the new season with the COT. Um, Mark Martin was sharing some of the races with Regan. So that's kind of where Regan and I worked together on a real superficial level. At that time, I, I think I was a second race engineer. Yeah. So an assistant race engineer. Um, he knew that I really wasn't digging the satellite team thing, uh, with, um, MWR because we didn't really have a chance to win that many races. We were really competitive at road courses and, you know, some super speedways, but sure. we were never going to, you know, knock it out of the park for, um, mile and a half and stuff like that. Right. 
So he just called and he said, hey, um, Furniture Row is going to go back racing full time. Uh, why don't you come out here with uh, and um, race engineer as uh, for Jay Guy and myself? So what I did is uh, they were going to fly me out so I could meet with uh, Joe Garoni and you know some of the team. And uh, I left for the. I decided uh, I was going to leave for the airport really late. And if I still made my flight, I was just going to take the job. So uh, <laughs> I made my flight and landed in Denver, and I think it was October, um, and uh, there was snow on the ground, and I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and um, yeah, I took the job, and you know, the rest is history. So you went out there to be a race engineer and ended up as the crew chief. Yeah, so I, I finished the last couple races with them. Um, and we were in Miami and, you know, um, and, and, you know, some of the, some of the folks that I kind of grew up neck and neck with in that, in, in those roles, right. um, one of them was, was Travis Geisler, uh, who's okay. now like the yeah. president of Penske, Penske. racing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he and I were talking. And I, and I forget what it was that he specifically said or however it came up, but I kind of walked away with that from that conversation thinking, I think Jay Guy is going to leave Furniture Row Racing and go to Penske. Um, so, you know, that night, this was just before Homestead. So, the, you know, the last day of school is kind of how that feels. Okay. Um, so we went out for dinner the night before the race. And I said, uh, are you going to be here next year? And he just kind of looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> like, how did he find out? And, uh, you know, I, at the time he hadn't signed the contract, um, but he was considering it. And so, you know, when he finally decided to go do the Kazalowski deal, um, that left the spot open. And uh, they were willing to give me a shot, and you know we had a we had a pretty good uh, we had a pretty good start to the season. It didn't uh, I didn't stay indefinitely, um, which was fine. Um, but we had a great start to the season, and it worked out good for everybody. And you know I uh, made my one dollar bet because <laughs> you did it in five years. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was, it was pretty exciting. That's um, you know, the, I'll never forget uh, another good Max Pappas story. So we were uh, at a road course. I want to say it was Sonoma and, uh, and we, we had a good run going. I think we were running like third or fourth towards the end of the, towards the end of the race. And uh, Gordon, punted us and we slid off the racetrack and slid back to eight. And, uh, after the race, you know, Max was, Max was pretty happy. Um, and we were debriefing and, you know, I was just kind of frustrated with the whole, uh, getting punted thing. Yeah. Well, Ken house, who was the president of, uh, Hendrick motorsports came over to shake Max's hand and tell him he did such a good job. And, 
Max turned to me. He says, well, isn't that great? Ken House noticed how we ran. And I said, you know what? You should have pushed him over and told him Jeff Gordon was an idiot. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it was. uh, What was Max's reaction to that? uh, He just said, no, you wouldn't do that. (laughs) I said, I would have. Yeah, well, that's why you're not NASCAR anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Part of that whole I don't lose well kind of thing. Maybe therein lies the the lack of my political capital. Yeah, well, see, the thing I love about Max is Max, Max, he'll he'll do some goofy thing or say some goofy thing, and you'll be like, Max, what in the world? And he'll just look at look at you and go, I'm Italian. It, you know, that's yeah. like his favorite pet phrase, I'm Italian. Um, yeah. But he's just, he is one of those guys in the sport that I've met. And and just every time I get the chance to, to, to talk to him, I feel at the end like, number one, I've talked to somebody that, that's been around the block a little bit. But number two, I've had the greatest time of my life because he's just so entertaining. You know what? He is such a good down-to-earth, humble person really and then is. Tatiana I mean Tatiana Fittipaldi you know yeah. you don't get any larger than life than her dad no um but uh, Max and and his boys uh just is such a, a great family uh, so many laughs you know and and he was one of the ones like you know when you when you talk about guys just clicking you know we get along really well and we could yell and scream at one another, and then right afterwards we'd be, you know, back sure. to focusing on the on the task at hand. So um, I talked to Max once in a while, but it, it's it's been a long time. I know his steering wheel business is going really well. Oh, yeah. I'm happy for him. Great job with that. Um, yeah, so you got to meet so many interesting and exciting people uh, through that. Um, it, it was a really fun time and. Boy, did I get to meet some smart folks. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so. you, you had the, you, you didn't, uh, now you, did you, did you crew chief that whole year with Regan or you? No. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, for, I, I forget exactly when it, it was later in the season, but, um, but I was, I was done before the end of the year. Okay. And was that kind of a mutual thing or is that. You know, I, they had some plans. Um, was that when uh, they went with RCR and Shane Wilson came? Was it Shane Wilson that came over? No, um, we actually started the RCR deal uh, at the start of the year. Okay. So the first five races we ran on our own cars, uh, and we did okay. Um, and then the next five, or then after that, we we started putting RCR cars together. Okay. Um, no. Um, Pete Rondeau took over. Pete Rondeau, after, that's right. Yeah, that's right. after. But, you know, I, I was able – so Cole is Canadian. He and I raced go-karts together as kids. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool, being able to hire Cole and bring him out. We had a lot of fun. Um, I, th- I think we put together a really good group of guys. And, you know, there was quite a few of them um, that were a part of the, the 78 success. So – um, that was a lot of fun. It, yeah. it, it, it was really interesting to kind of step back and see how that come together. Well, and you, it, you know, it's kind of another example too, about how it's sort of all, um, a, a straight line path, even if you don't see it at the time, because you ended up, um, working with who was it? It was Barney, right? Visser. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Barney and I started a, a pretty cool manufacturing business. Yeah. Uh, after that, and he gave me a great opportunity, and you know, we did some really amazing things. So you know that that sort of went in a direction that maybe you wouldn't have expected, but it kind of got you out of that weekly racing grind a little bit. It did. You know, yep, it it, it sure did. And then you still kept racing, at least, you know, on a part-time basis, because we saw well, you a few times with the Super and such. I, I, I started to again. Yeah. I would call it, it's, I would call it, it's my golf game. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of how I describe it to people. Um, and, you know, it was really spotty. I, when we first put the Super together, um, man, that thing is fast, but it, it was not super reliable. As it turns out, we had oil pan problems, oh, um, okay. which which would kind of always plague us with that car. But uh, that was fun to do. And, you know, that, that just getting back to super modifieds and the root of super modifieds was just so exciting. And, you know, getting to exploit some of the engineering that I had learned in the cup deal, um, that, that was, that was – uh, it was fun to see that come full circle. And now you've kind of changed direction again. And as you said, kind of new career, you moved, moved a little bit further back East again. And, uh, we see you occasionally with, uh, with Mike and the Wickty team run a, a show or two happy to, that we saw you back at Oswego for, for classic weekend. Um, but we, you're now kind of going back to the sprint car portion of yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many years I've got left to run competitively. Uh, you know, um, there's some guys do it till their 50s, and, you know, you got Sammy Swindell, who's still doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that I could ever be that guy. Um, I, I'd like to take it pretty serious this year coming. You know, the plan was this past year, I felt like we'd put everything together to be really, really on point in the 360 deal. And, uh, you know, the, the guy that I'd got to work for us, um, he and I didn't click. It just, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where if you can't be on the same page immediately, you're probably not going to get there. And a, a really good example of that is um, Martin Truex today. You know, Martin started at the 78 car yeah. um, after Kurt Busch yes. had finished. And the crew chief was Todd Barrier, who I think is probably one of the best crew chiefs in the NASCAR garage, or yep. was. Yep. Um, and Kurt and Todd went really well together. But just, you know, luck and, and stuff like that, it didn't work out. Well, the following year was Kurt and, or was, I'm sorry, Todd and Martin. And they struggled. Yeah. They they just they couldn't find a rhythm. They I don't even think they had that many top tens. Um, but the following year, when you pair uh, Cole, Pern, and Martin up, yeah, man, they they just set the word world on fire. So you know when when people ask about that, it's not a specific driver and it's not a specific crew chief. It's about you know working together. And I would say that this year. Uh, as much as I had expected to really work well with uh, Brian Kemenaw, uh he and I just could not get on the same page, and and things suffered because of that. We didn't end up racing that much, um, but uh, 
I think next year we've we've got a plan that hopefully we can be back to where I would like to be, and you know we're we're uh, performing the way we want. That's so awesome. I was lucky enough, you know, ran the super I think five shows this year um at good speed in most of them you know not a lot of luck i think our first show was yukasa and uh we were running like third there and uh had a water pump problem um i think we went to where else oh delaware we were really good at delaware Delaware. uh we were running second or third at delaware and broke a rear end uh, obviously, Oswego didn't work out too no, well for us. No, that was like, wait a minute, he's not supposed to, the car's not supposed to wind up like that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that, um, but hopefully next year, you know, I can run 25 to 30 sprint car races and hopefully, you know, the same kind of five or so super races, okay. five or eight. Is there a chance that we could see you in a situation where maybe at some point we get to see you actually run the classic? Um, you know, I think with the new wing package, um, it opens itself. There, there's probably more. Yeah. That, but you know, here's the thing showing up to run the classic if you're not doing Oswego on a pretty steady diet and running lots of laps and doing a fair bit of testing, you're probably not going to win. So I'm probably not going to be in a car that's capable of winning. I, I don't know that I would get that opportunity. Um, so it, that would be a tough thing. I, you know, I think I can get in an Isma car and, and be competitive right. um, just because of my experience and my background. I'm not sure that I have that same opportunity in a non-wing car. Well, uh, that all makes sense. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take you any way we can get you at the Oswego Speedway because we all appreciate you very much. And don't get uh, me wrong. I'd love to do it. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah. And, and if if the opportunity presented itself, uh, I would, I would probably do it. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, I want to take the sprint car pretty serious. Um, and, and I'd really like to get back to running where I, I think we should be running. Now, Mike Lichty said something to me after the classic about the possibility that he may be running some sprint car shows with you this coming yeah, year. He, he bought, uh, he bought a sprint car, uh, bought a hauler, um, He's going to be ready to go shortly, so wow. we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. I, you know, lots of people ask about the differences, um, but here's what I would say: uh, super modifieds, like they got a lot of tire. They're a light race car. They got a lot of downforce, and you got to hustle them yeah. to make them feel comfortable. Uh, and is my car anyhow? Yeah. Um, you just described a sprint car. You know, although one's on dirt and one's on asphalt, you know, there, there's some key principles there okay. that uh, that kind of lend each other um, some parallelism. Gotcha. And um, so I, I don't think the difference is as drastic as what people think. Interesting. Okay. So where will we find you racing the, the sprint car in 2020 and how much of how much of that? I mean, as much as you can kind of speak to what you know about Mike's plans, 
how much of that might we see Mike, you know, running alongside you with, but where do we, where do we find you next year? Are you going to be running up in ESS territory or are you running just kind of an outlaw schedule or what is your plan? It'll be a lot of hit and miss, but you know, there's some really good paying races in between ESS Patriots. There's a couple of open shows. Um, you know, it'll be, I think a lot of upstate New York, uh, of course, Oshwegan, um, is a big Canadian racetrack sure. that has, I mean, it's one of my favorites. Um, so I, I could, I could see us going up there. Um, hard to say what Mike's schedule is just yet. Um, I, I think he's going to kind of wait and get things put together and see where that lands, um, before he commits to a schedule. But I have to imagine that we'll do a lot of the same shows. Interesting. Okay. So it sounds like Mike is ready to, to take that leap a little bit too, and maybe cut back a bit on his, uh, super modified racing perhaps. Well, you know, with the supers, you know, they're down to a fairly small schedule. Um, so I, I think you can actually do both and not okay. really have to cut back too much on supers. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what Brad's plans are yet, um, but I have to imagine we'll do a similar ask type of thing. And, and hopefully I'm lucky Good. enough to still be running the car from time to time. Um, obviously I really enjoy it. And um, it's really cool to get to see some of the people that I've uh, grown up with and, um yeah hopefully I, I still can absolutely well you know we certainly uh wish you all the luck in the world and whatever you do going forward we uh we we'd love to see you in the supers as much as you know you can do it and want to do it but uh the sprint car deal is wicked cool and you know i mean you're still you're still fairly young right i mean we th- 30 31 no man, I'll be uh, I'll be forty next week. No way, so, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I've I put myself through its paces. No too, idea. So. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you're right. I mean, you you're you're certainly in terms of the calendar, anyway. You know, uh, with the exception of a few, like you said, Sammy's still doing it, and you know, there's some other folks that. You know, gosh, you got Buzzy Ruderman still winning races in Florida in a modified, and he's, you know, he's got to be in his eighties. I mean, you know, or high seventies yep. anyway. Um, but you know, you're right. You probably the calendar says you know do it while you can, and of course, be, you know, kind of keep yourself fit and, and do some of those things. Um, you know, you can probably hang around a little longer, but uh, it'll just be fun to see where this next chapter of your journey takes you, and certainly. Um, you know, we look forward to following you in it and it's been fun to sort of sit back and just, uh, remember your career a little bit because, uh, you know, I know, like I said, my, my first recollection of, of meeting you was actually Niagara Falls at one of the go-kart races you were running. Um, and you know, that was, I think those weekends with the go-karts and the, in the, um, TQ midgets were just a blast when they used to do that. Oh, when we, when we raced indoors. Yeah. yeah indoors. I used to love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much fun. And then, you know, had the chance to, um, to, to, of course, you know, it was funny when you and Regan got together. Cause I, I had to look at that twice. I said, well, now this is interesting. You got two, you know, f- young guys from 
you know, you're from Canada, but we know you kind of from New York. So it's almost like you're a New Yorker as well. Um, but roots there in the racing sense and, and Regan's from Cato and, and, you know, and of course I've known Regan since he almost the day started racing Mike rods at Syracuse. Um, and it was funny because I, I remembered yesterday and I thought this would be kind of a funny story to tell because it kind of talks to how long we've been connected. Do you remember when um, I invited you to come up and run uh, with the Mike Rod Club the one night for, uh, uh, gosh, Jerry Gould, I think it was, was in a mock open wheel car, and you and your dad came up there, and um, I, I think the guy ended up blowing like three motors that night. Just, do you remember, I do remember doing that? that? I <laughs> just I remember we. Uh, I remember it was a rough night, and yeah. I remember we have we had we had to hustle out of there because I had to go to run a big go kart race. That's right. Uh, yep. Somewhere after that, but it, uh, if you tell me that Regan was there, I would be pretty shocked. Now, I I can't swear to that because Regan. It's I don't remember exactly what year that would have been. Like I'd have to go back and figure out by the calendar because Regan came down here when he was about. I think they moved down. He was like 11 or 12. So he may or may not have been, but that's where he started. And, and, um, and so, you know, just again, another one of those little connectors. And, and, um, I'm thankful that despite the way that night went, you still, um, you and your dad still allowed me to have any credibility when it came to your career. Um, (laughs) that's the way it goes. That wasn't a good start. Right. Um, but it was fun. And, and, uh, you know, it's you're right. That's that's how racing goes. But um, Ryan, again, thanks for um, thanks for taking the time to sit down and chat with with me and and uh, with us as our Inside Groove family. And uh, look forward to getting together again as you uh, get your sprint car stuff cranked up here. And uh, we'll keep everybody apprised of how the season's going for you. And that, do you know when your first race is going to be? Have you gotten that far yet? Not, not a hundred percent. It'll. I we we talked about going to Florida and running the Florida series, but I just don't see us doing that. It'll be you know April, I got early you. April sometime. I would think. Well, we'll look forward to uh, we'll look forward to touch a base then uh, as we get get into the spring, and we'll keep updated uh, throughout the summer with you on how you're doing because I know that uh, you get a lot more fans than you probably realize uh, that that were fans of yours because I'm sure of your dad partially, but then also just because of you when you ran at Oswego in the limited, and I know that uh, everybody's going to want to kind of keep. Uh, Keep an eye on how you're doing, so we'll do our best here as long as you'll have us to uh, chat every now and again and bring you back here and and just uh, let everybody stay up to date on how things are going for you. Absolutely, and, you know, I just – I can't thank everybody enough because it's, you know, their support that allows us to keep doing what we love to do, and, um, you know, I just – uh, humbly, I, I say thanks. Well, uh, we appreciate you as well. And uh, that is Ryan Conium. We're going to step aside when we come back. I'll have a few closing thoughts here uh, on this edition of Inside Groove. So stick with us. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. 
Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Welcome back to The Groove as we wind up this really long show. This is beyond classic territory for extra distance at this point. I think we're approaching, um, you know, the Thompson 300 or something. Um, goodness gracious. Well, if you're still listening to this, <laughs> thank you so much. If you've done it all in one sitting, you really are committed. Uh, but I uh, hope you enjoyed Warren and Ryan. Uh, those interviews are priceless to me. I was, uh, you know, when I first went to the track, the eight ball was the first car I picked out and Warren Conium was the first driver that I remember getting an autograph from who actually asked me what my name was. Jimmy did too, but I think Warren did it first. Um, and I think those were the only two that ever did. And, and I don't, you know, dis. I don't slight any of the other guys for that. I, I loved getting all the autographs, but Warren just uh, was a great driver and um, got to know Ryan when he was racing go-karts. He was, um, I think, shoot, I don't even know, 15 maybe, I don't know, but um, maybe younger than that. But um, ended up, I remembered the other day, and I wish I, I don't remember all the detail on this, but um, I actually had him on the original Inside Groove show when he was right around that age. He was still running carts, I think. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't remember why. There was, there was some reason why I decided to do it when I did. I don't know if he was running a big race or he just won a big race or something, but I had him on the original show. And, um, just, um, and I, and I even think that, um, I even think he cut a commercial. I don't remember. Golly, I I hate that my brain lets me remember like snippets and then not the whole detail. But I think Ryan even did a commercial. I'm trying to think what in the world it would have been for, but it was one of our sponsors or something. I think. Um, gosh, it was a fun time. We had a good time that day. Um, I think Ryan really got a kick out of uh, being on the radio. And but uh, anyway, so uh, we've always kind of been. Friends and and uh, ma'am, what he's just accomplished a lot in his life. He's really been very successful, and uh, you know, just two great people, great family, and uh, happy to be able to present them to you again. Uh, and for those of you who, um, you know, who may have heard that those interviews for the first time, uh, again, I really hope you enjoyed them. So. Uh, fun to do that. I don't know that we'll exactly follow the chronological order when we do these things. I may jump around a little bit with uh, with going back in time and bringing the the encore presentations back. But I just uh, the concept was intriguing to me, and I thought, well, if we're going to bring Warren back, why don't we just bring Ryan back and have one show with both of them on it? Um, and so I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I don't want to get off here without. Uh, talking about the number 94 though because we that's tradition here and interestingly enough i mean this is kind of except for me this is kind of an all canadian show isn't it uh and we're going to talk about uh, canadians again because uh the number 94 it, it's funny because the first person that i thought of was dave mcknight and i think dave uh thinking on it a little more i think dave um Drove both the 94 and the 84 out of the Lichty camp at one point. Probably drove the 74, too, for all I know. But 
Um, I'm pretty sure that Dave was 94 for, for a bit. Um, and watch me be wrong now. Cause that seems to be how this happens, but I think Dave was, was 94 for, for a bit. Um, Mike was in the 84, maybe even still now Brad would have retired by then, but, uh, yeah, so I think that was the first car I thought of, and that kind of ties because Ryan Conium has driven for the Lichties, so uh, that kind of ties in. In fact, Warren Conium drove the Lichty car one night. Uh, wow, what year? 70, it was right after, so it would have been, I think it was 79, and I think he, I want to say, finished like fourth, third or fourth. He he came from the back of the field. Him and he drove. I I don't. And again, I don't know why do I remember these random things and not other things. But he drove the eighty four, and Kempton Dates drove Lou Bannister's twenty six on the same night. Um, and Warren ended up. He I don't think he won the Concy, but he 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 started way at the back of the field, and um, so it must have been a, he must have run the Concy, and uh, they both made the feature. But I don't think Kemp did as well but warren just blew through the field like a japanese bullet train for crying out loud. he he really uh had a good night with that car i was hoping that uh, he might drive it a little more but um that was the year he ended up i guess with 79 it would have been the year he ended up in the in the six ball and uh the rear engine car um the most badass super modified ever built in my opinion but anyway uh that was that was fun to do so the 94 mcknight uh was the first one i thought of but of course i think if you're if you're gonna sort of award the number you know this is the dave mcknight show uh because and i really should have now that i think of it i should have uh, brought his interview back i guess but we'll do that uh down the line dave was um man i he came he first showed i think that was 79 too when he first showed up with jim bodner um and i think if i remember right didn't he win two races his first weekend that might have been um i don't know why would we have another maybe the maybe a race got rained out before the port city because i think i remember one in the port city and uh so maybe we had a rain out or maybe the port city rained out and we tagged it on to the following weekend i don't remember but he um i think he won both races pretty sure Man, I love that red car. That first car that they brought, and I love the gold, too. They had a gold car. I loved both of those cars. Um, and so, um, and then, of course, uh, well, and I guess we continue the Canadian tradition because you've got uh, Craig Ravals, uh and Logan, I think both were 94, right? Uh, I think didn't. Uh, I think Craig had a 94, maybe a 95, or no, is he 94? Now I'm, see, now I'm. I get inside my own head and I get confused, but I think I'm pretty sure that uh, Craig was 94, and I think uh, uh, I think that's what Logan runs too. I think the 95 was um, we might have had a duplication of a number because I think I think when Pat Abel drove, I think it was 95 for them. Uh, I think he ran a classic, one of the classics for that for for that team. But um, those were the big three that that I came up with, or four if you count Logan. Those are the big three, um, and man, think about that. You know, that's um, Dave Schillick and Dave McKnight. I think are two of the best drivers that ever set foot on the on on the the, the pavement at a sort of speedway. Um, and so they have those two guys sharing a number. It's pretty cool. But uh, so yeah, a lot of Canada tonight, and uh, nothing wrong with that. By the way. Um, this is a first for me too, because I actually am recording this show following 
um, two other shows. This is the third show of the night. <laughs> so if I'm a little punchy, you'll probably understand why. Uh, yeah, I'm recording this on a Monday night. And Monday nights, we do a lead lap from 6 to about 7. And then we um, basically just transition into uh, our big flagship show, the syndicated show, The Inside Pass. Um, that one, we average about a million and a half listeners a month with that. Worldwide, we're on over 40 platforms with that show. And um, that's our flagship and so we record those back to back on Monday nights and um it uh we've done that now for a couple of years and it basically is because uh that was the only night that we had production a producer available and now I'm actually producing both of those shows most weeks um and so um you know I, I may actually move league lap but the other the other reason that we do that is because especially with the inside pass where we try to focus on nascar and the bigger series um if you're going to get nascar folks in monday night's a good night to do that and so that's kind of why that is where it is so those two shows actually get recorded on monday and they don't get released for a number of days league lap airs on wsic which is a three-station group here in the charlotte lake norman area on saturday mornings at nine o'clock so that show actually is i focus more on you know being a guest driven show with that we don't get into too many race results or whatever once in a while i'll talk about hickory or you know one of the some of the short tracks but we try to make it more of a people show because, you know, again, it doesn't air till the following Saturday. So like five days later and the inside pass, we don't, we, we always do the previous week, but, um, there's four of us. And so it's kind of a sports reporters sort of idea with that one. So it, it doesn't sound so dated, even though it premieres on the following weekend. So again, just, uh, just a little fun fact here. This is the third show of the night. It's going to midnight and uh, we're going to wrap this one up. But um, just thanks again to uh, all of the sponsors. I appreciate Jeff West and IPC Indy and, um, of course, Sean Cathcart, Skip's Fish Fry and um, Groff's Pub and also uh, Rich Worth, who, I mean, gosh, <laughs> who doesn't like Rich, uh, JNS Paving. Thanks to uh, every one of you for supporting the show really really appreciate it and uh, thanks to all of you who keep listening super appreciative of that and uh, look forward to coming back for inside groove 95 here as we again start our um, weekly shows each season one last thing i will tell you is that um, we are for the summer i'm going to try to have these shows out on tuesday nights which Longtime fans of the show will remember that's when the radio show was on when when I was up in New York still. Um, we would be on Tuesday nights after NASCAR Live, so we're going to go back to try to get back to Tuesday nights now that uh, SteeringWillNation.com is up, um, and I'm going to have a little bit of help on the sort of final production side for a couple of the shows to do some editing and things. Um, we're going to try to break up the premiere so that, you know, uh, we've got four shows. So um, we're going to have separate nights that each of them will premiere each new episode. So um, that way you all can kind of get used to uh, 
hearing it and and kind of looking for it on the same night and uh gonna try for seven but um basically the the deal will be that um it pretty much just if i can get it up there at 6 30 or whatever i'm not gonna, not gonna wait <laughs> you know it's just uh but just know that it, tuesday night is going to be the designated night for new groove shows as we go and um you know love that some of you are kind of encouraging me with these different ideas because uh, i just think it's fun to change things up once in a while and again i look forward to the feedback on this idea of um doing the throwback interviews and uh you know recycling some of the the older ones again um hearing warren's interview it almost sounded fresh to me again so uh same with ryan so that was pretty awesome so thanks you guys have a blessed week and we will talk with you on the next inside groove until then i'm tom baker be well everyone so long you've been listening to inside groove powered by ipc indie creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Thank you for listening.